8th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone staying safe out there in uh, quarantine land. Most of us is kind of uh, locked inside, just kind of going out in for food and groceries and the, uh, the necessities here and there. So hope everyone is having fun, staying safe, staying sane inside. We're doing our best here at That's What G Said to pump out uh, long shows with all sorts of different segments. So hopefully you can at least uh, take your mind off of everything, kick back and enjoy and, uh, and uh, have a little fun for a bit. Let's talk about uh, some news all around uh, different sports. And then on this episode, we're going to talk with Jason Beam, you know, Beamy Awards. But we're not going to talk a whole lot of horse racing. We're going to talk about WrestleMania 9. Jason's also a wrestling fan, so we go back in time and we do a, a recap of WrestleMania 9, 1993. It's Caesars Palace, Bret Hart versus Yokozuna. In the main event, Hulk Hogan making his return to the WWF. Uh, an awful, awful show. But what's funny, sometimes the best things to talk about are the things that aren't aren't that great. And when we rewatch it, it's still nostalgic, right? The quality of the show isn't great, but it was a, a lot of fun. Bobby the Brain heating on the commentary team. So we'll spend a lot of time talking about that with Jason. And then some horse racing. Tampa Wednesday, pick five carryover. We'll talk about that. Golfstream Thursday, Oaklawn Thursday. We'll talk about those two. Before we get into anything else, we're going to talk some uh, some sports news. Yeah, we don't have other sports going, but we do have news. Like in the NFL, Antonio Brown hired a new agent to rep him. So would you give him a shot? We, we mentioned this a little bit last week. Maybe the Ravens were, were looking into him. Would you be willing to take a chance on Antonio Brown? Talent, unbelievable, but obviously some issues and... You know, he's bounced around now with a couple different teams just in the last year, and it was not good for anyone who signed him. Are you willing to take a chance and that possibly mess up your chemistry if you're a good team? And if you're a bad team and things don't go well, is he the kind of guy you want to have on your team? You got to weigh the risk and the reward, and the reward because his talent is huge. The NFL will conduct the NFL draft outside of their team facilities April 23rd through the 25th in a fully virtual format. Club personnel in separate locations. The NFL officials are operating in separate locations outside of the offices, and it looks like um, the broadcast will combine ESPN and NFL Network. They'll probably run this out of ESPN in Connecticut. Those studios have still been open. And it'll be something like a, a unified broadcast. There will be some sort of a fundraising element to this. And just reading up on on how everyone is having to prepare for the NFL draft without in-person meetings, without having giving the opportunity to you know talk to these guys again. They're doing Zoom meetings. The coach is doing Zoom meetings all with each other. Um, you know, giving their list of you know preference position. And it seems like everybody's big into uh, uh, has had to learn Zoom now. And it's different. It's new. But everybody's in the same boat. And everybody's going to be dealing with the same circumstances. So NFL draft will continue. And it will be April 23rd through the 25th outside of team facilities in a fully virtual format. 
the NBA and Adam Silver, they've decided they're not going to make any decision on the league until at least May 1st. They're going to give things a few more weeks, see how, you know. You know, Adam has been really good. He's I love him as a commissioner. He's one of the best because he's just very honest. He doesn't hold anything back. He tells you exactly what, what's going on, what they're thinking, what they're doing, and he just he's such a fluid situation. He's not willing to make any commitments one way or the other. He just wants to wait till at least May 1st, at the least, before he can kind of gather more information, and then maybe it's it's wait longer, you know? He, he um He's been pretty open, so that's what's nice about uh about the commissioner of the uh, about the NBA and the NBA and ESPN are working together on creating a horse competition with some of the NBA players. Um, they're just looking for different things that are safe that could uh, you know get some eyeballs because there's not anything on these live uh, on these networks that bought a lot of these live sports contracts. They just don't have anything to fill. In golf, the Masters. They hope to be rescheduled November the 5th through the 19th. Obviously, if things change between now and then, we'll have to see. But it's good to kind of have a date on the map circled where you can say, okay, boom, calendar, here we go. UFC Dana White, he's securing a private island. There's going to be international fights with international fighters. They're not able to get the international fighters into the U.S. So he's going to fly everyone into a private island, and they're going to be doing fights from there. April 18th, UFC is back up and running, and they're going to be pumping out fights every week. I've seen a lot of jokes about this. Like, wasn't this Mortal Kombat? We've seen the uh, the plot for this movie. It's Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! So... At least some news in the NFL, in the UFC, in the NBA, and in the world of golf. But there's a lot of news in the world of baseball. Let's take a quick break here from one of our sponsors, and we return. We'll talk a little MLB. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can can enjoy. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. My favorite is Fresh Roses. The Fresh Roses scent is awesome. If you're a horse racing fan, they got Del Mar in there. You ever want to know what Del Mar smells like, but you couldn't make it out there? Order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company. The website C-E-R-A Candles.com Sarah Candles.com. Promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. Sad news uh, to start. Al Kaline died at 85 years old. 22 years in the in the MLB playing for the Tigers. He was nicknamed Mr. Tiger. 15-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glove winner in right field. He was a Tiger broadcaster up until 2002, and he was the first Tiger to have his number retired. He's a Hall of Famer, made his Major League debut in 1953, and by 1955, he was the youngest player ever to win the American League batting title. He was also a salesman in the offseason he was still playing in the, in the era when a lot of these players had another job, you know, in the offseason. He had 
3,007 hits, 399 home runs, and a 297 career batting average. He won the 1968 World Series. He hit 379 in that World Series with two home runs and eight RBIs. So we transition over um, to talking about baseball in Korea. And you're going to ask, why? Why are we talking about baseball in Korea? Well, baseball's back in South Korea. The KBO, the Korean Baseball Association. Some players have been wearing masks on the field. Dan Straley, former MLB pitcher, he's now over there. And they they have exhibition games that are scheduled back for April 21st, six preseason games. They've been streaming inter-squad games so far on YouTube. We are two weeks away from them being the highest level sports league in the world to be playing professional games. Now, if anyone, these are some of the things that they've listed. If anyone gets sick, a player, a crew, staff, they will postpone for two weeks. The thing about Korea is the way their country is run, they implement things way differently than we do here in the U.S., right? So since March the 12th, they've only had 99 new cases, and they had six of the coronavirus. They had 658 new cases from February 29th through March the 5th. Korea has been offering free same-day testing since February. You get the results within 10 hours. Obviously, that's not something that we've had over here in the U.S. When someone tests positive, now this seems, this is a little crazy, but just think about this. The government goes through their phone and their banking data to find all potential at-risk places. They go through your phone, see where you've been. They go through your banking information, see where you've been. And they let everybody know at all those places that you've been in contact with them and that you you have tested positive. They put out a text message blast and a social media blast. There are masks and sanitizer everywhere. A lot of places you have your temperature taken before you enter the building. And there's thermal cameras to measure your body temperature. So they've been, they've done a great job in containing this. Obviously, that's a different country in the way things are run here and there. And not, not, it's a, not a positive or negative, it's just... It's different for them, and it's probably easier for them to implement a lot of these things than it's been here in the United States because a lot of people just kind of say, screw it, and and do what they want. But using them as a model, all the other sports are going to be watching them to see what happens. Even though they've been able to contain this thing much better than a lot of other places have. So the news came out on Monday from Jeff Passan of ESPN that baseball and the Players uh, Association are focused on a plan that could allow them to start as early as May the 1st. Now remember, this is all just a report. I personally think this feels a little early. I think June the 1st would probably be a better date to circle on the calendar maybe to shoot for, a little more realistic, but we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks. Let's go on with this. This is from uh, Jeff Passan. Federal health officials believe the league can safely operate amid the pandemic. The Players Association Association and the MLB feel this is likely. All 30 teams will be playing games at stadiums with no fans in the greater Phoenix area. This is the idea. They use Chase Field where the Diamondbacks play, and there are 10 other nearby spring training facilities. Got a ton of fields right in the area. 
Players, coaching staff, and all other essential personnel would be at nearby hotels living in isolation, traveling only to and from the stadium. Federal officials at Centers for the Disease uh, for Disease Control and Precaution have been supportive of a plan uh, that would that addresses to strict isolation. This allows the MLB to be the first pro sport to return. Some believe June feels more realistic. I kind of agree on that. More time to have a larger uh, ability for a quick coronavirus testing and a quick turnaround with results. So they're saying if we wait till June, by that point, most people will be able to have the opportunity to just go and get a test whenever they want and have the turnaround real quick. So it won't be like um, you having these baseball players tested all the time is is keeping you know you or I or the average person from getting a test if they needed it. By early May, there should be enough tests that it does not impact the public. Players are genuinely low risk for COVID-19, but um, many protocols would need to be in place for coaches, managers, and umpires who are a little bit older and might not be um, that low of risk. Players would have to separate from their families for four and a half months. This, to me, feels like the part that a lot of players probably don't want to do. You have a wife who's scared. What if your wife is pregnant? Um... What if you have a significant other or, you know, family problems, you young kids, any anything, you know, plenty of reasons, but being isolated like that for, for however long the season ends up being, four months, four and a half months maybe even, not being able to go and interact at least with your immediate family, I don't know. I know you're getting paid a lot of money, but... I don't know. There's there might be some some people who who aren't really uh, high on that idea. Not something you ever have to encounter through throughout a season. You're never on the road for more than a few weeks. Maybe a may like you know into three weeks maybe for for baseball, basketball maybe like a, a long couple week road trip, but never for like a month. So the league would. This is what's what's difficult about this, obviously. The league would forego gate receipts that account for the largest proportion of its annual revenue. They could get added money by adding national TV games because if they're able to get started before other sports, there are going to be networks that are looking all over to fill that that didn't pay for national baseball games. So they could be able to kind of take some money early on, the earlier they are able to start. What is proposed is something like a two to three week training camp period to test everything out. Officials believe that if there was, you know, a positive, it wouldn't be forcing to shut everyone down if it was in a contained environment. They wouldn't have to force everything down. It would be a couple, and that would would be concerning because that could lead to an outbreak. Um, more players, the the union, the MLB players union would like this. Um, because there's a possibility of expanded rosters to help with um, the summer heat, to help with any players that may test positive, and more players would be able to receive more service time and major league salaries, and the MLB Players Union would love would love this with the expanded rosters, which they're going to have to do this year anyways in, in such a weird circumstance, whether they're going to be playing more double headers or less days off or whatever it's going to be they're going to just have to expand the roster a little bit to to especially help with the pitching 
Don't want to have to go out here and cram everything in and have a, a lot of these guys getting hurt. So other possible changes. They're looking at things that they might have to do to alter the games to make it quicker, to make it safer. Electronic strike zones so that there's social distancing for the umpire. No mound visits for the coach or for the catcher. Seven-inning doubleheaders. Regular use of on-field microphones um, during the game for the players. Sitting in empty stands six feet apart and the players not being in the dugout altogether. Many um, discussion between the league players' teams and the TV networks on things to do. And the questions are like, you know, how many people are allowed in the stadiums? Who is essential personnel at the baseball stadium for a baseball team? Who is needed in the hotels? ton of questions to ask, but uh, baseball is kind of plotting things out. They're doing their best. That's what I like about all these leagues, right? We don't know what's going to happen, and I don't want any league, any any place to open anything up. It's going to be unsafe. But I like having the ideas ready to go because that way you're, you had ideas where you're adjusting. You, it looks like the NFL is doing the same thing with their schedule right now. They are putting up a couple different schedules to see if we get to start here, if we get to start here, if we get to start here. I like that. Be proactive. Be ready to go um, in case you know things turn positive, if things turn negative, and, and then it's unfortunate. Then very easy to just say cancel. We're not playing. But uh, we, for just as far as like our our uh, optimism is concerned, we want to hear that these things are are at least getting talked about and getting discussed. And uh, it looks like they're they're uh, they're ready to get set up. So yeah, news in the NFL, NBA, UFC, golf, and MLB. And now we're going to go back in time with Jason Beam. We're going to recap WrestleMania 9 from 1993, April 4th from Las Vegas, Nevada. Kick back and enjoy. We spend uh, over an hour talking about WrestleMania 9. So go watch it and then uh, throw this on uh, afterwards. Or if you remember it, kick this on. You'll have a good laugh. We talk all about the show, and uh, we have a lot of fun talking about the commentary because this is a really funny show on commentary. So up next, interview with Jason Beam. Okay, he's back to talk this time, not not horse racing, not the Beamy Awards. We're going to talk some old wrestling. Yes, we're going to go back to 1993 and talk about WrestleMania 9. Jason Beam, a good friend uh, of mine, is uh, a big wrestling fan, so... He, uh, he he mentioned that this was a show that was near and dear to his heart, so we welcome in uh, Jason. And then, uh, Jason, we'll get to the wrestling in a minute. Thanks for joining us again. But uh, crazy time right now, man. Uh, I'm glad that you're here and we can have uh, have fun and uh, maybe take people's mind off of everything for a little while. Yeah, it's amazing. What would we have done, Gino, if this was 20 years ago with without the technology that we have now? I mean, we can we can kind of keep intertwined in a in a weird way. Well, especially like you and me, you and me in particular, like. In a weird way, like I, my shows and stuff haven't really missed a beat because I cover so many things, and you cover racing, and racing still been going, and and most things in particular that if like if all the other sports in the world shut down and there were still yeah. racing and wrestling, I'd be in great shape because I can yeah, talk yeah, a lot of, I can talk a know, lot of that I, on my shows and uh, I know. I've I've been waiting for the uh, the 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 furlough notice to come through, and so far so good. I mean, I, I think as long as there's some level of uh, of decent racing going out, that uh, that I'll be okay. And um, you know, it's yeah, it's scary times for everybody though, man. I mean, people out of work, and obviously everybody getting sick, and uh, it's not any fun. I know there's a lot of things I'd rather be doing, but uh, everybody'd rather be doing. But uh, you know, we're making we're making it work. You know, that's what we that's what we do as people. <laughs> 
yeah, we're we're doing our best here, and uh, and hey, we're just trying to to listen and 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 be as smart and educated as we can with all this stuff. So, thanks for coming in. And yeah, normally when uh, when you come on, we'd probably be talking some some racing or you know beanies or something like that. But we're gonna we're gonna dive back in to a WrestleMania recap. We've been doing these the last few weeks uh, since we're in the WrestleMania season right now, and people have been getting a kick out of them, um, especially the older ones. You know, we're seeing this on TV right now, Jason, like all yeah. over the place because. The, these networks that have all these deals with these, uh, in particular, like the sporting, the, the teams and the leagues and stuff, and they don't have any live content right now, so they're just playing um, old, old stuff from two years, three years, five years ago. ESPN has shown old WrestleManias the last couple yeah. weeks. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny. Like I, racing is something I can watch old uh, highlights and episodes from and be excited and. Baseball once in a while, like just just the short term highlights and stuff. But wrestling might be the only thing that I will repeatedly watch old shows of, and 100%. You know, for an hour or two. I mean, I'm not going to watch it a full NBA game from 1993. It's just the same it's just way. There's happen. some clips. Give me the clips. I'll watch yeah. the end, the last shot, stuff like that. But I've watched this WrestleMania, even though it's you know criticized and talked about as probably one of the worst in the handful goes down as like one of the worst from like a match quality. I've watched this thing 50 times plus, you know, every year around WrestleMania season, I watch it again. And this one, uh, when we go back to 1993 and we're going to start talking about WrestleMania nine. Now this one was right in my wheelhouse because I'm six years old at this time now. And um, we've got the black box at my house so Mm -hmm. I can watch every pay-per-view of everything ever. I've watched everything. Like I can remember watching everything live from about four years old on. Literally sitting right there in my parents' room with my dad, like watching all these all, all the way through. And Bret Hart was my guy, so I loved Bret Hart. Anytime once he got the, the the big title, like once he's in the main event here. But for me, when I watch this mat this show, and a lot of the matches are bad and the endings are not great. This show, what what's golden and what's hidden golden about this is just the commentary. Like anytime that Bobby the Brain's on there, Randy Savage is just atrocious. <laughs> He's saying some awful things, horrible, like that don't make any sense whatsoever. And then we get Jim Ross, who who makes his uh, WWE debut. So this was fun. This was like the the WrestleMania that they had set up. If you if you guys remember, they had it all set up like the Roman Coliseum. It was at Caesar's Palace. Uh, it was you know in the day, so you know it's the the light. Are out you can see the sun shining outside And this was actually the third time They were at a casino early on What are some of just kind of your big picture memories And the, and the things that stood out to you About this Wrestlemania So I was uh, I was almost 13 I think I was 12 and I was going to be 13 like the next month So I was in 7th grade and this is the This was the only pay-per-view That my parents Ever got for me Usually nice. I, usually what we had to do I actually I got to see WrestleMania 3 on closed circuit television in Phoenix yeah. we were down we were down, I was like 7 and my I, I mean you know Andre and Hulk even for a 7 year old was like the biggest thing in the world my dad took me to like some teletheater where they were playing it on closed circuit but uh this was one I I had a party all my friends from school came 7th grade was first year of junior high so it's like you know I I finally it was toward the end of the year I finally started meeting new friends and um you know I was like oh you know maybe we should have a WrestleMania party and everybody's like hell yeah we should so my mom was cool enough to do it, you know, made snacks and, and, and the whole night. So we had, had all my buddies there watching this. And it was, it's funny because it, it's, it was, you mentioned Jim Ross, like that was such a passing of the torch moment looking back because Gorilla had obviously called the first oh, eight. I, yeah. I know Jess, I know Jesse had kind of left after six, I believe. Yep. And, but I mean, I'm a huge Gorilla guy. Uh, I just think that his 
delivery, and he mixed so well with Jesse and with Bobby. Those that, have, those two teams are, in my opinion, my yeah. two favorite teams. And then I like Jerry and and Jim Ross after, and I didn't mind Shivani, like a lot of other. But the two with Gorilla, with Gorilla yeah. and Jesse, and then Gorilla and Bobby, those are my personal two favorite announced teams. I went to uh, when I was at uh, Monmouth last year. I went down to Philly for a day, and Gorilla and Joey, his son, are, are buried right across the river from Philly, oh, in New yeah. Jersey. So I, I went to the cemetery and paid my respects to uh, Gorilla. It says Papa Gino on his uh, oh on his, yeah on his grave, and, and and his son Joey. I think this was his second to last WrestleMania. He died in a car wreck in '94. Uh, uh, I think it was the, you know I mean there's. That that schedule back then was uh, was pretty brutal, and I guess he fell asleep at the wheel and uh, and was killed. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, for me, the whole gorilla to Jim Ross thing, I I got away from wrestling after WrestleMania ten, so and I was gone for a lot of years until re- just recently again, and so. I didn't experience the Jim Ross era. I, I mean, of course, you see highlights of Stone Cold and you know Stone Cold and No Shane, don't do it, and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah. but but Gorilla was 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 my guy, and so uh, it, it's and you can tell like what he's doing the intro, like he's just not quite as sharp as he was, and obviously he's just kind of throwing it to Jim. But uh, he was so relaxed and laid back. Uh, in his delivery, especially on the opens of the old shows. And, uh, you know, I actually thought just a really good broadcast because he certainly wasn't a trained uh, announcer. He was a wrestler. Yeah, he was a wrestler. And that's what I think gave him a little bit of added credibility too. you know, because oh, yeah. he'd, he'd been there and done that. And he, he was just, he was sharp. He was fun. And, and that's the thing is that when you look at this, I mean, that, what, that's what makes, I think this one even fun to watch, to watch back is that, there are a lot of our like favorite characters from the old era here, and you look at like some pretty good quality. I mean, you, you've got Hogan here. You know, you, we just mentioned the announced team. You got Shawn Michaels, the Steiner Brothers, Razor Ramon, Ted DiBiase, Hulk Hogan, Mister Perfect, The Undertaker, Bret Hart. So you have a lot of fun characters that have been a big part, and that will go on to be a big part of a uh, of WWE and WWF. You've got some good old fashioned WWE racism and sexism all throughout the show. You know, yeah. it's just like one of those things when you when we watch back these shows, how like jarring some things that are said sometimes are. Like the shows from the early '80s into like I guess the mid '90s, and then. In the late 90s, they were pushing the envelope a little bit more yeah. with, like, what they would have on there, but it wasn't, like, quite as, like, from a, like a racist standpoint. Oh, I mean, like, you you were assigned based on your ethnic your, background. I oh, mean, that, yeah. was your, that became your character. And, I mean, of course, Jesse, you know, the, the Tijuana, Chico, Santana, Taco. Oh, yeah. I mean, he went on for, for days with those. And, and Bobby kind of picked those up. Right up. Uh, oh yeah. As well, but uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's there's some there's some cringe uh, <laughs> stuff with uh, with the WWE. You know, what you talk about some of the the superstars. What I was what I found kind of fascinating was how many guys who were at WrestleMania one were also in WrestleMania nine because like Matt Bourne who was Doink, yeah, he wrestled he wrestled solo. Also, IRS wrestled solo or IRS yeah. wrestled I think tag team in tag uh, team in WrestleMania one. Tito. Santana was in the dark match, so he yep. wasn't on the pay per view. But, but uh, Beefcake Hogan, I mean, th- there was a lot of guys who were. Tito I mean, that, that's a long so run. Tito and Hogan at this point were both the only two that had been in every mania uh-huh. up to eight at this point. And I, I mean, that's what I, I mean. Think a think lot of them came back, uh, and, and so you had ones that came guys. from and from back. And so there yeah. was it, there was some longevity, and then it was the next like year or two when the tide started to turn. And you yep. could see because like nine, the next year WrestleMania ten is a, is a good, a pretty good WrestleMania, and then the years following, like you dropped off at a good time because ninety five, ninety six, yeah. Oh, I they're watched, not I very good at all. The, you know, the Godwins and, and, and you those got, kind of 
You got the Bam Bam Lawrence Taylor match in the main event, which was, you know what, like LT did a great job for that, but that like's not a main event yeah. type match. And, uh, and, and so th- this, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, lots of your Vegas and betting talk from Bobby and Jr. and oh. uh, and Mean Gene, like always. And um, they're, they're uh, before five, I think it was when they were at the the other casino at uh, Trump's place. Uh, there's some great vignettes leading up to it of Gorilla playing blackjack and Bobby yes, coming. Yes. You know, I mean, yep. some really great stuff. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting was this was an outdoor WrestleMania and it was, you know, kind of, it was, it was not a, I don't think a, I don't think that was like a Coliseum that they did a lot of, I think it was kind of made for, for the WrestleMania thing. Yeah. Yeah. They did make it up. Yep. And it was only 19,000 people. And I really wonder if that had an effect on the broadcast. Cause it, it seemed like you did not get many pops. No. There was not a lot of big pops, and that outdoor too. A yeah. lot of the time, they Air say that the noise goes straight up, and so it doesn't yeah. feel like it. To me, I know this is WrestleMania because it's the goofy look, you know, and then always yeah. know when you look at it, but it definitely didn't. And even the way a lot of the matches, you know, WrestleMania in a lot of the years leading up to this was like the end of the year, kind of the culmination of everything. You had a lot of like endings to storylines and clean finishes and title changes and stuff like that. In this, it seemed like most matches. There was still going to be something going on uh, moving forward. So, uh, but to me, just all throughout the gold that we find on the commentary team, you know, between just like some of the gems and then some of the head scratching things that are said, we're going to pick up a, a lot of those you're, things you're for so, sure. You're so right about Macho. He was <laughs> so bad. So just bad. The most obvious. And it's funny. He almost, I, I, he, he's such a good promo. Right, oh, yeah, it's yeah. so bizarre that he's so bad on commentary, and it almost feels like he's maybe playing the role of Vince. Like Vince is just kind of feeding him lines that he's saying because he's very Vince, and a lot. He even like one or two points gives the what a maneuver. You know, I don't yeah. know if he was trolling Vince he's or trying like, to do the thing. And it's like what? <laughs> he said, what? Oh, he crush, already... crush. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah like, exactly. The most obvious things in the world, and um, and and Bobby gets them a few times, and 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 they have some fun, and I mean. So so they build this as the world's largest toga party, and right off the bat, we get we get we get introduced to Jr. This is his first time, you know, at WWE. He's calling WrestleMania. Which I thought was crazy. Like right off the maybe, bat, maybe, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe throw him into a you know a, a Wednesday night uh, show or <laughs> something. I'm, or give him a yeah. raw something because because this was actually a really interestingly big year in what when you look back was kind of a down year for the WWE because they just a couple months before had debuted Monday Night Raw. Now, as their new TV show in the very beginning of nineteen ninety, in front of like a hundred people, in, yeah, uh, yeah, in, yeah. The, in that same theater, all, that ballroom, uh, yeah. yeah, all the time, and uh, and then right after this show, they would for the first time have a fifth pay per view in the year, and it would be King of the Ring. They had King of the Ring a couple months after this before SummerSlam, so this was actually a big year. They had a lot more going on, um, a lot more you know uh, content out there a lot more tv time to fill and they were able to kind of build up their storyline and stuff a little bit better but it was weird like you said right off the bat jr thrown to the wolves here not only in wrestlemania but in wrestlemania where he's got to dress up in a toga yeah. with these sandals which was really funny he made a comment like i wonder how these are going to play back in oklahoma <laughs> you know and uh and i the, mean the, bobby made 20 different oklahoma you know Backwards he's references. I'm sure he's writing him down at, at yeah. the ringside. Um, 
and then we get uh we get immediately which is great too jr's calling the action of like cleopatra coming out and the elephants oh. like he's giving us all the background facts you know about these elephants he's giving us all the information about cleopatra and, and and all the it was just really really funny stuff here and um and then we get you know macho man coming out with the vestal virgins and uh and we and grapes Eating the grapes. Vincus Maximus is uh, is introducing them all, and then Bobby the Brain coming out. Uh, he was supposed to be with the Vestal Virgins. There's a mix up. He's on a camel. He's like backwards on the camel, just overselling it like always. But he's just so damn good with his facials, with every little thing that he does. He kind of falls off, and then Macho kind of lifts up lifts up his toga, and they show his underwear. But th- this was just fun. Uh, a lot of fun in the intro. I didn't, you know, the thing with the brain is, is, you know, when you're a kid, he's the bad guy. And, and I, and I will say like, I, I get a little annoyed, uh, and I'll, I'll say this to you <laughs> and others, like, I, I'm not a big, like, uh, I, I don't like to watch wrestling to be a booker, like sure. to kind of see what they should yeah. do to, you know, sure. oh, you got to set up the feud with this. I, I do kind of fall into the very simpleton of not necessarily good guy, bad guy, but just I like this guy, I root for him kind of thing. Follow it, yeah. And and with the brain, when you're a kid, like you hated him, right? Because yeah. And you only realize as you get older and you do kind of take on that whole Booker thing, you realize how just incessantly brilliant he was oh, at, at at being the heel and uh, and just how, how good he was. I mean, it, it's it's incredible to wait, watch back wait. now. Sharp. Oh, I mean, yeah. And, and you know, anybody who has to do something comedic for three hours – is going to throw out some lines that are bad. Like that's just, that's how it goes. But he hits so many more times. And you know, I always loved him and gorilla because they were friends, you know, off, off and you camera. can tell, you can and tell. You, yeah. And their, their Monday night primetime show was just hysterical and, and just little, little, little hits and, you know, short arms and deep pockets and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it was just so good. And, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, but just kind of talking about the totality of the show, I remember being distinctly annoyed that the ropes were not red, white, and blue. Yeah. It was the first time. Yeah. I and I mean, it, time it just didn't, weren't. it didn't feel right. And it felt cause like the old NWA kind of had the off color ropes and it, and I used to like, just not like the NWA cause that was always what came on right after WWE in our, yeah. in our town. And so I remember when that came on, I'm like, what, what the hell? It's not, this isn't this WrestleMania. Is, come on. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it seems like a stupid thing to be annoyed. No, by, but but you just noticed it. Yeah. 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 Um, th- and this was probably the beginning of, uh, of Jr. getting ridiculed and made fun of by Vince for years, you know, like he, Vince loved just getting Jr. in like compromising situations all throughout his later time. He would have to like kiss Vince's ass or like eat dog food or do these like, embarrassing things all throughout. So it's funny to look back on now and just see that the first time he showed up, he's in the toga with the slippers and everything. And, um, well, and he's just man. an announcer at that point too, right? Like yeah, he's not, yeah. a, he's not a backstage big wig no. like he became and he became and and god the one thing that i do get bu- get a little bummed out that i i wish we would have been able to get a longer run of bobby jr that could yeah. have been really fun those two guys going at each other they could have yeah. been like right in line with those other really good ones too because jr just plays it straight so much but he's quick and they would have just had a lot of fun going with each other yeah absolutely okay so so let's get into this uh uh, the first match in the opener, we had the Intercontinental title match. It was Shawn Michaels with Luna Vachon versus Tatanka with Sensational Sherry. And uh, Bobby explains who Luna is right away. Uh, Shawn yeah. Michaels, uh, Sherry was with Shawn Michaels for a while, and she comes out. She's not really with Tatanka, but she's just kind of against Shawn. And um, Macho's uh, 
uh, yeah, Macho's on the on the call with with Jr. It's kind of weird to me that you know just two years before this, Macho breaks up with Sherry. She's just like beating the crap out of him after the match, and he doesn't really mention anything about it at all. He's kind of fine with her uh, throughout the match because they're baby faces now, so they're always on the same side now. Once they're once they're good, Um, (laughs) Bobby says something like bizarre with the capital B. And Macho says, "Spill the rest of it," (laughs) and he stops. (laughs) (laughs) Just. Macho says Lucha is a uh, Luna is a Vestal Virgin, but for a different reason, which was another uh, a really fun one. But Bobby uh, also claims she was Miss Ontario. <laughs> he said she she won Miss Ontario. <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? And, and uh, Bobby's calling Tatanka Tano um, throughout, wow. so you get you know like the Tatanka's playing the uh, the the Indian Native American character. He was undefeated at this time. He was pretty popular at this time, too. Um, but, you know, he's, like, super basic with his offense and stuff. And this match was fine. Um, it was one of the better matches on the show. It, A couple of the, the good matches, though, they felt like they just they went on maybe a little too long. Uh, probably would have been better just, like, four or five minutes shorter here. But you do see, like, some real early points of, like, Shawn Michaels and just him bumping all over the place late in the match. Um this match ends up a DQ And like a lot of the matches in this uh, Throughout the, the show Tatanka wins by DQ But it's kind of a weird finish You could tell they just don't really know what they want to do I don't think they yeah. wanted Tatanka to win the belt But they still wanted him to be undefeated Because they kind of liked him It was you know, it was good, it was one of the better matches on the show Yeah, undefeated is kind of a, a, a trope They use you know, for yep. various guys over the year Obviously Mr. Perfect when he came in Goldberg had his big streak and all that kind of stuff Andre, and so, in the, Yeah, you know. I mean it, it becomes a, a talking point And something to uh, do and, and I think these were two of the better performers Up against each other on that particular show yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. they're both pretty capable guys and, uh, and there was, I thought, some good high spots And uh, yeah, overall I thought it was it, It's hard to explain Like uh, optically, like it's a pretty good match But I don't know if it was the crowd or, or what It just it didn't, didn't, it, it didn't hit, it didn't hit. Yeah. yeah, No, it didn't, it should have been better It felt like it should have been, it wasn't bad But yeah. but there were a couple of these matches too that you looked at on paper And you went, Look, this probably should have been You're right, there was something oomph, Maybe they didn't get that extra that extra uh, pump for, From the crowd um, Maybe the angle, the, the you know, the the glare and some of the sun out there might have been a little weird for some yeah, of them. Outdoors, kind of like a, just a, it's different. a different beast. But but yeah. but if you remember right, like remember how amazing the '92 SummerSlam was outside? Oh, like it was, was, so it was visually and everything uh, incredible. Yeah. That, so you're right. It, it just it totally hit or miss. And a couple of the WrestleManias since then have kind of been that way. Like the one in Santa Clara was okay, but then I think there's one point where like the Undertaker's coming out and it's still light outside, and that's kind of what happens in here in this show too. Which there are just some points where you'd feel like you'd want it to be kind of dark at least to to kind of set up the 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 ambiance. That they want but this match yeah it went just over 18 minutes uh, Shawn Michaels keeps the title Because Tatanka wins via DQ And then after the match Luna just wails on Sherry uh, uh, After this They actually had a pretty crazy Beatdown on Raw it was either one of the Next couple weeks where Sherry basically got Like stripped down to like bra and panties Um in Earl in like 93 and it, it was like wow you know And uh, she was such a great soldier though I mean she would have done anything for the company She was she was someone who was a, a women's Champion early on and then they would always Like assign her with a heel that They kind of wanted to give a rub to she kind of went Immediately from macho to DiBiase and then to Shawn Michaels Martell she kind of had interactions with She she was great yeah Oh yeah I, I mean Sherry I think is is Kind of underrated. I, she she's a Hall of Famer though, right? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and she is. I gotta check on that because if she's not, she's gonna be very soon. I mean, she's yeah. she's really really incredible. That's the one thing I, I miss when I look back on some. I of mean, the old she kind of carried that macho 
Ultimate Warrior thing. I mean, she was oh. like hugely pivotal in in those interviews, and and she was kind of the bait. Oh uh, yeah, you know, for Warrior. But I mean, she was a big part of that run. And she set up the whole thing with Elizabeth coming back, and she had the interaction with Elizabeth. I mean, she she was excellent, and uh, and she just does a great job. And I just miss they don't have as many managers nowadays. I don't know for what reason it is, because I think it's a lot of times you have a good one, and like we see with with some of these, especially late eighties, early nineties, you really get some heat on there. And a lot of times it's like you're feuding against the manager, even you know how it was with Bobby the Brain and, and some of the other ones, Jimmy Hart sometimes, and, and something like that. So uh, yeah, not a bad opener. Um, and uh, and we move on to Mean Gene, and he's Sherry talking. is a Hall of Famer, by the way. Yes. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I thought she was. I thought she was. Um, mean Gene's dressed in his costume backstage, and he uh, is talking to the Steiner brothers who come in. They're making their um, WrestleMania debut here, and uh, Scott Steiner's got the long mullet. We see a, some good mullets in here. Some like real good Cru- long. Crushes is tough to beat, man. Yeah, crushes is great. Crushes is really kept short up front, and I think that's what <laughs> so, you know. Steiner's is mullet, but it's. It's, but it's more long. of just long, yeah. yeah. It's thicker, it's thicker. It's not as yeah. tight, you know. Yeah. Crush, <laughs> if he's got it pulled back, he literally looks like Brian, yeah. <laughs> like and from from the accounting office. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's there's some good ones in there. Uh, so we get the uh, one, two, three. The, the, kid had a good one. He had a, he had a wet mole. Oh, he had one of the skinnier, tight ones down the back. Yeah, like the little baby mole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Um, so we get the uh, the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner versus the head stringers Samu and Fatu. Uh, Fatu actually ended up becoming Rikishi oh. years later. He's the father of the Usos, who are uh, who are you know one of the better tag teams that that WWE's actually ever had. They've been really good the last you know decade or so. Um, the Steiners are rocking the heavy uh, Michigan gear. They got their uh, they got their jackets on their Letterman jackets, and uh, Bobby continued to make fun of Michigan high school. They have to keep yeah. reminding them, you know, Jr. is always going to know where you went to school. He's going to know your background, your sports background. Uh, Jim Ross is always going to give you that. And um, mo- I mean, like most of this match actually is the head stringers like beating on on Scott Steiner. They get a hot tag. They come back. There were a couple. Pretty damn good moves at the end of that But before yeah. before we get to those You you gotta remember Jason That if it's a Samoan You cannot knock their heads together it, yeah, You yeah. can't do the double knock And knocker because it doesn't do anything You know it's like a coconut right That's what well, Yeah I, mar- I marked that down because uh, <laughs> it, It's such a great move and it's similar to the junkyard dog Remember they did that with him yep, too you, could, yeah. you couldn't headbutt him And, and every <laughs> once in a while you know they'll punch the one of the islanders in the head, or the head shrinkers in the head, and they'll completely go down like it hurt. But it's like almost it like, they, it's like they, they almost forget forgot. about it. But I actually, <laughs> I I think the head shrinkers are a little bit underrated in they the pantheon no, of, of tag teams because, as you said, there's some great spots. They were very aerial and they were big guys. Uh, I think back to I mentioned the Islanders because I was thinking about them as part of this. Like I remember Tama, you you know Haku was the guy that would beat the crap out of everybody, and Tama would go off the top rope mm-hmm. with like a monster frog splash or something like that. And you know, there's I mean the Samoan legacy in in wrestling is incredible. But uh, I always thought, yeah, I thought the head, I mean the kicks when they when they would you some guy turn around and t- turn right into a, a high kick for them like the Shawn Michaels style kicks. I mean they would just tattoo the guy. There was something about the no shoes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah some yeah. of the wrestlers that didn't have the that would go wrestle bare feet that kind of scare me a little bit. I'd be sure. like, man, this guy's gonna gonna go no shoes on there. Like he's not worried about his foot. Like he just, well, you know, that would. That, yeah, and off is eating a skunk out outside of yeah. the ring. Or <laughs> um, Lord knows what's going on with him. Uh, the crowd went super hot for the Rick uh, the Rick tag, 
And um, there's a point where they've got Rick up on one of their shoulders And the other one's about to come off the top rope For what looked like one of the finishers And Rick catches him in the air and does a crossbody off his shoulders I like couldn't believe I for, totally forgot about that move I could not believe that was a really crazy high spot move for the time And how about Rick with uh, one of the weirdest nicknames in all of wrestling the dog, the dog face, face gremlin. gremlin. Like, <laughs> what J- is that? J- There's a point where Jr. just calling him dog face, dog yeah. face, dog face, dog well, face. The funny thing, the funny thing too is, uh, like, he was supposed to be kind of the zany Steiner, yeah. and and as we know, it turns <laughs> out, like, literally, I think after they left the WWF, like, Rick became like a real estate agent, and Scott Steiner became insane. Big, big pop so, pump, yeah. Yeah, they kind of they kind of reversed roles a little bit. Another another great Bobby line was uh, when Alpha hit uh, Scott with the kendo stick, and Brain goes back, 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 gone. <laughs> they were just uh, yeah. Brain was really rolling tonight, and this was a bummer because this was actually his last WrestleMania too. It feels like yeah. it it wasn't a, even a long run of manias for him. We got him a lot more in some of the other uh, other shows. And then uh, they're going to finish this off with a, a Frankensteiner for the win. Uh, but Can I mean, I go he, ahead, totally, yeah. he totally whiffed Frankenstein. Oh, he like. biffed it big time. And he missed that move. Or he, that was the one thing about wrestling the Steiners at this point is that they, uh, you know, were billed as being like these really good in ring. And they were. They could go in ring and they could do a lot of things, but they would just toss you around. They injured a lot of people, I think, in, in early WCW in here because, you know, they missed that Frankensteiner a few times or some of the things off the top rope. They, were, they weren't. Um, you know, scared of trying things, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the time it was at the uh, the mercy of their their opponents oh, in the in the ring. Yeah, I mean that his, his feet like are off of the guy, and he's still on the ground, and then all of a sudden <laughs> Samu like, oh crap, I got to do a somersault, yeah. and then he goes. And in fact, that there was a match in WrestleMania the other weekend where I think it was the first girls tag match. Um, you know, one of the girls kind of does a, a side winding three sixty, and like she landed on the girl's knees like for a splash. And pin, and it was the pinning move. It was the Alexa Bliss match. Especially when they have the ability in this one to retape that spot. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, come on, you're oh, taping old, like this old, match from two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. The old splash on the knees, that'll really yeah. uh, keep you down. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's obvious, to, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's going to happen. I mean, you're, you're certainly going to whiff moves. It's just, I, I, and the Frank side, it wasn't the worst, but it was, it was pretty obvious that it was a little yeah. bit whiffed. Yeah, this was this was a good match. This was fine. Yeah. It went about four, uh, 14 minutes, a little over that. And um, the, these guys could all go, though, pretty good. I think you mentioned it. Like, the head shrinkers were underrated. And even Rikishi, as he got bigger and gained a lot more, yeah. I think he, uh, he, he at one point was uh, called Making a Difference Fat 2, where he was, like, a guy that was, like, his character in, like, 95 was, like, a guy that went out and wanted to help the community. <laughs> he, like, that was, like, his character. And uh, he, he became uh, a good, like, mid-card to upper mid card uh, wrestler for he became uh, a hall of famer right for years to come yeah i mean he, he yeah, was good kids he, he was really him, good yeah. yeah and um then we get to another character who you know at the time i didn't realize how good and how like how really well done a lot of the time doink was especially oh, yeah, in this yeah. era of doink so we get to doink the clown mean jeans talking to him doink is an evil clown um they show kind of clips of the feud with crush leading up to this who crush used to be in demolition now he's hawaiian kona crush and um, 
Um, Vince, Vince, with, like, the worst accent, right? Sugar ever. bro, I'm coming down to the good. No, no. He's so awful, so bad. It, and Vince initially was so high on the Doink character that he actually talked with a lot of the, uh, you know, his his executives and his right hand men that he was wanted to do like a circus style WrestleMania. Where Doink was going to be in the main event and it was going to be like the big top, which is actually not far fetched from what this WrestleMania was, you know, right. but it would have been, you know, like animals all over and all that stuff. He had really big visions for the Doink character. And, you know, Matt Bourne, who plays Doink, he had some of the, some, you know, drug problems and some like inner demons and stuff. He, you had mentioned, was Matt Osborne at WrestleMania 1. And um, he, he, he was. Gary, you look back at him. He's this cr- this clown, and the great thing about it, as as he wrestles, and and this is Doink the Clown versus Crush. That that's this match now. Um, as he wrestles and his face paint wears off, he looks even creepier, you know, because he's got like half of the white face paint, or it's like faded, and his hair's out, and he just kind of looks like a maniac, crazy drunk guy that crushed up like a cr- a clown, you know. And and, and uh. He's good like he does a really good job He's a heel at this point He picks on the kids a lot he'll trick them and he'll, he'll do things like this so uh, um, You know you know, Doink, Doink, I thought Doink was looking back I really love this early Doink heel character Yeah he, and, and as he evolved It seemed like he kind of became they, they would you know start pushing more that you know he's very technically sound he's very yeah, technically yeah. sound and and he kind of got a big spot in that next summer slam with uh, when king came right. out on the crutches yeah, and, right. uh, and put him in and and him and bret hart wrestled a hell of a match and they so did. uh yeah i mean i i was a big crush mark at the time like when you're 13 like the big cool hawaiian guy you're just supposed seems to be like, yeah, you're yeah. supposed to be and, a crush mark. And I honestly thought the finish of this was was kind of a neat spot, the little mirrored uh, double doinks. Uh, it's you know, an illusion! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, Bobby just selling it. like you know. The, and then the refs. I, I, my, one of my favorite things of older wrestling is clueless refs, but also when... When uh, Rene Rene Goulet and Pat Patterson come out from the back and they're just yes. standing around like looking at like when Brett has Lawler in that twenty minute uh, sharpshooter like literally Pat Patterson just like holding Brett on the shoulder like come on you have oh, to let him go it. Brett pointing and, shaking his yeah I, I love I love and then, you know like but in this instance the you know one of the backup refs comes out to Joey Morella and he's like I swear he's under the ring and then they look and of course <laughs> they look for four seconds and like he's not there you better get up. He's walking down the aisle and he's like shaking his head yeah. still. That rat. Yeah. He's oh, like, I, I, I swear to God, there was two of them. There were, um, there were, uh, I think, some fun ones in here. Savage said, uh, came, Crush came, and C- Savage and Crush were very good friends backstage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually had a match at next year's Mania. Um, and he, he liked Crush. Too, yeah. yeah, it was good. It was fun. Uh, that Falls County anywhere. And, and he was trying to give him a good push. And, um, he said, uh, Crush came to TCB, take care of business. <laughs> And so, uh, uh, now that you uh, mentioned that WrestleMania 10 was so much better. No, <laughs> like, oh yeah, just match like a match quality. quality. Oh yeah, I mean sure. Owen and Brett was better than I mean by 10 miles than anything. Yeah, in the ladder match in there too. Um, yeah, the Shawn Michaels uh, Razor oh, ladder no, there's, match, there's, which was which was yeah. awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so then uh, um, uh, yeah, you get we get the the finish where Crush dominates most of this match. Um, when um, yeah. JR says something, you know, that'll loosen your tooth, macho, and Crush isn't even a dentist, you know, just like the yeah. stupidest, most basic Sweet stuff ever. Sensible. And then, and then at the end, um, 
when when the other dink uh, uh doink not not yet dink dink was later the the mini doinks when uh when the other doink shows up and there's two of them and they're doing like the the uh, like the mime the mirror, yeah. mirror oh, the mirror, you know yeah. and 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 he keeps saying he must have said it six times this is an illusion bobby the brain just repeats it over and over him trying to sell this was great um you know you mentioned the ref coming out and there was a second doink, and uh, they couldn't find anyone under the ring, so they go back. We get some of these goofy interviews with Todd Pettengill. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So this was kind of when Pettengill was first really yes. you know, starting out. And I uh, I kept thinking, I was like, who does he remind me of? Like his sense of humor, the way he talks. Gino, have you ever seen the movie Teen Wolf? Oh, yes. Do you remember Styles? Oh, absolutely. He's Todd a surfing on the man. Yeah. He was like, Todd Petko was WWF styles. Like he was yeah. cool. He was young. He was the bit <laughs> life of the party. Like he's gawking around everybody. He's saying these just corny jokes going a million miles per hour, you know, and he's talking to the, you know, the Japanese photographers who, and then of course, when, uh, you know, when there's nothing left to say, he just goes, Yokozuna. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And you know, that's Vince like, Hey, they're Japanese. Oh, we better say Yokozuna to him. Laughing. And I'm who's, sure who's not, who's like, not Japanese. Of course, Yokozuna is yeah. not Japanese either. Which he's helps, but Samoan and he's from San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. born in Frisco, and he's an actual Samoan. So uh, yeah, but yeah, Pettengill, uh, and Pettengill actually went on to have like a really good radio career. He was yeah, like the yeah. the morning guy at the one. In fact, he was a morning guy at a huge New York station. I think it was PLJ that just closed like a year ago. Uh, and, and I don't know if he retired or, or what, but I mean, you know, being a morning guy at a huge New York station that's that's a damn good living. No, he just—he was just goofy and over the top, yeah. you know. He—he he, uh, he, he was Styles, man. I'm telling he was, you. No, you're right. That's a great call. I mean, I love Teen Wolf, so that's—I I, oh, you're gonna get extra bonus points. Get yeah. about it. Um, so then, then we get a match that just feels kind of a little bit out of place, um, because Bob Backlund's here, and Bob Backlund, who was your WWE champ from February 20th of 1978 to December 26th of 1983 for almost six years, um, he had just come back. To make a uh, return, he hadn't been in wrestling for eight years, and he, in in about a year or so, he's going to turn and he's going to be the heel Bob Backlund, which is great. Where he's just like this old guy who snaps, but right here he's still super vanilla Bob Backlund, and uh, you know. Opie, he didn't call him Opie right away. This is just a, a pretty quick match. You could kind of tell Razor was getting some um, some pops early in this match, and they were getting close to turning him into a good guy. And then he'd be a good guy for his next few years and, and have a pretty good run in like the middle to the like the the bottom of the main event. He would always be kind of like an IC champ or in that Fair mix. Donald, and uh, yeah. and um, uh, yeah, this was quick. The story of this was kind of trying to get Razor over because he was actually in the the WWF title match at the Royal Rumble against Brett. He lost that match, and then at the end of 1992, he was in SummerSlam and he was in like a real main event feud for a while with uh, Flair against Macho and Perfect. That was the feud where you know Perfect ends up turning on Bobby and, and Ric Flair, and he goes and, and and he fights against them, and that was a lot because of of Ultimate Warrior and and a lot of those guys getting busted for steroids where they got canned, and so they had to change things and tweak things up. So Razor had been kind of main event. Um, for you know his first couple months of coming into to WWE, but this was pretty quick. It was kind of like they were trying to just they kept putting over the fact that you know Backlund's a wrestler, and then they they really wanted to emphasize the fact that it was a roll up win for Razor. He beat the wrestler with wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I, I just put wasted match. Like I, I yeah. remember I remember when it happened. I was just like, well, who the hell is Bob Backlund? And as far as I was concerned, the wrestling world started with Hulk Hogan. And so, sure, eighty five. Uh, well, that's how most yeah. people were. Yeah, and, and, and it, so he wasn't just, too far removed. Remember. 
Because no. he, he lost not far Sheik, before right? it was Sheik. And it, Sheik yeah. was just a total transitional champ just so that Hogan wouldn't beat, you know, Backlund, the good guy. And I think, you know, it was always nice to have the Backlund in your back pocket if you need to go back to it. And then obviously uh, the rest is history. Hulk, Hulk went and ran with it. Um, but yeah, this was this match went three minutes and 45 seconds. No reason to even talk a whole lot more about it. Um, next up, we get a Mean Gene uh, backstage promo with Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, IRS. This, I mean, I- IRS was a good character for a few years. I think when you're talking about some of the characters that, that are given like a shtick, DiBiase and IRS and Rotundo, they did so well with their shticks. They're up there with The Undertaker, with Mr. Perfect, as some of like the best characters. They just felt like they were their character. He would come out and cut the promos about all the damn tax cheats and just yeah. get immediate heat. I mean, and you know, Detroit, uh, like, you're known as tax cheat, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they were because he was a terrible. Like, like he had no personality. I mean, no, no. But that's so kind of, maybe. I mean, that's good. what an IRS agent yeah. is, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the heel was good for him. I even made Stephanie watch a lot of this show with me, and we were laughing at a lot of parts uh, through this. And and you know, he had to wrestle too. They, they say it a few times with the the tie and the suspenders yeah. and the that would just not have been comfortable, right? No, thank you. And a and a briefcase, yeah. And yeah. A lightweight. I just sent you a photo, Gino, on my uh, my little uh, studio here where I work from home. Uh, somebody had given me. Uh, a DiBiase and IRS little, not bobbleheads, but they're like big head things. I just sent you the picture. You're going to kick out of it. But uh, so every, every, uh, every time I record anything, I'm, I'm looking at. Oh uh, yeah. At you Ted got the bat heads. Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah, DiBiase similar to Heenan for me is one of those guys that I hated as a kid. And you realize as you get older, like he's great at being a bad guy. Like he's truly oh, yeah. excellent. And of course, you know, he's, he was a great wrestler as well. I, I mean, a true true hall of famer in my book. And I know he wasn't the most popular cause he was a heel, but, uh, he was just so, so good. And, and, and this match, like, you know, I know it's in vogue to not like the Hulkster, but like when real American comes on, I don't care. I still think it's like the greatest thing in the world. You know, oh, I do too. Uh, I never, I don't have a bad thing to say really about Hogan. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, well, I mean, he's, he, he's, he does oh, late, some things late, that are great. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> later. I, I mean, as a, as a wrestler yeah. and as like a, yeah. as his character, I was always, he was same thing, like in my wheelhouse. I mean, just I was bigger, bigger. He was bigger than everything. He was a, then. yeah, he was just a superhero, you know, yeah. at this point. And then, and then even when he became, you know, NWO Hogan was pretty damn good. Like he did a really good job on the heel side of it. Yeah. You mentioned he, and he, he says some crazy things now. Do you know that he comes out with a black eye and I remember they had, they had a, they had a, they had like a story for it, but it was real vague, but I I heard there was actually like a real story. Okay. So the real story was that he, the real story, he actually got into a boating accident. Dave Meltzer was just talking. I just listened to Meltzer talking about it when we were prepping for this show. Um, but the the rumors were that Macho or Macho's brother punched him because there was something going on with Miss Elizabeth, the, the you know, genius. backstage. Yeah. So so um, the genius Lanny Poffo. So that was what was literally thought of as real, you know, in and people still think of that as real. They were able to build it in the storyline as, oh hey. Um, DiBiase paid somebody off to go uh, to go put a hit on Hogan, kind of. You know, he's coming out of the gym. They go and they go and get him, and Hogan's got a black eye now. And uh, and then obviously Brutus has got the uh, the fa- he's got the accident. He's got the mask, he's got the mask, mask from the face, which is just funny because they're like his face is so sensitive. You know, they're just like really they take it off, and uh, nothing's wrong with him. Yeah, um, it, it, this was funny. Um, the uh the like you mentioned both of these these songs though right when i hear the ha ha ha, ha money yeah. money money 
Heyman. That's great. I love that. I get the kind of the the goosebumps, and then same thing with Hogan. Um, you know, and this this was more of like same type of thing. It wasn't like a very good like or a great worked match, but it's more of like the spectacle, you know, of Hogan coming back. I mean, he was gone. Right before this, it, people thought he yeah. was gone. All the steroid stuff was happening in WWE, so he was kind of trying to take a backseat, not not get involved in all of that. And he was acting. I mean, at this point, he had already filmed No Holds Bars, Suburban Commando, Mister Nanny. I think he was doing at the time, and then Thunder in Paradise. He had either just started or that was like next <laughs> a, for him. What a filmography! What a IMDb that I was looking through <laughs> earlier, and oh, uh, and um. And it was kind of the few things that were kind of weird to see. One, like Jimmy Hart as the good guy, right? Yeah. Jimmy Hart, but but what's funny, he was still doing like the same type of thing. He was very like oh, when he when he turned his coat inside out to refs colors, that was funny. I that, mean, was that was funny. There was, was some clever. heel stuff from the good guys, but um, yeah, I mean, this was I think what you would assume from a you know a a, a baby face heel match. They went back and um, forth. It was a lot of selling. Um, Hogan's hot tags in the, at the end. Yeah, hot tags yeah. at the end. Money Inc. tries to walk out um, and, and get the DQ because they can keep their titles, but they get told they're going to end up losing the titles if they walk out. Yeah, I love Bob- that, I love that they just randomly make up the rules. The like- rules yeah, that because Bobby goes crazy there. Yeah. He's like, what sure, do you think I, they can't just I'm make sure, the rules uh, up. I'm sure Jack Tunney was in the back, like Howard, go tell them if they don't come <laughs> yeah. back, they're going to yeah. lose their title. It's just funny because. The ref comes out earlier in the doink match, but then Bret Hart gets completely cheated at the end, and nobody says a yeah. word. You know, yeah. so it's oh, just yeah. like you said, yeah. like uh, you, there's just zero. Couple, hole, couple holes in the writing. Yeah, you know, can, was, I tell you, can I tell you a beefcake story, real please, quick? Please, please. Uh, so beefcake was kind of my other guy as as a little kid. Like oh, it was Hogan man. and beefcake, and um, my dad took me to the Seattle Center Coliseum, which was where the Sonics used to play uh, for a, a house show. And uh, I think it was Bundy and Hogan were the feature, but uh, Brutus had gotten injured his leg. I don't think it was the famed parasailing thing, but maybe it was. But whatever it was, he came out on crutches. Like it was supposed to be his match. And he was like the main reason we went. And so, and we were kind of sitting on the aisle, but up, and he comes walking out in the crutches and and eventually would go up and say, you know, oh, I can't wrestle and I got hurt. My dad chewed his ass the whole. <laughs> He walked back. I spent eighteen dollars on these tickets for my kid. You can get your ass out there, you know, just being a total hardo. And like, and the guy legit had, you know, like a broken leg or something. And my dad was so mad, so <sighs> mad. I mean, um, of course, I was I was heartbroken, but you know, I you know he was gonna, you know what people and he's another that. one who I don't think this guy he was over. Brutus. Oh yeah, Brutus yeah. Was the barber over. thing was great. Was, I mean, great. was great. Gimmick. It was from WrestleMania three on. Was when he turned, and then it was great. He oh. had the barber shop. There were some big things that happened in that barber shop. You know, people remember Shawn Michaels putting Marty Jannetty through the glass, and uh, he was Sid. he was really well built. I mean, he had a good look to him. He did. You know, he, yeah, he had the big gregarious smile. I mean, he you know he had uh, a lot he was of super colorful. He played his character well. Like he was a good babyface. He was a good like mid card babyface. Uh, he had a good he had and, a good high knee as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Behind me. I was like Brutus, um, and uh, and he was obviously you know, one of Hogan's best buddies, and so he yeah. was he was always a uh, Hogan always liked having him around. Um, so when DiBiase and uh, and IRS come back in the ring, the crowd starts to get into it. Then Macho says they're hanging from the rafters, and then it's silent for a couple seconds. Like Vince or somebody told him that, damn it, Macho, there's no rafters here, and he goes. 
if there were rafters, uh, it's the Roman Colosseum, and it has columns, so they're hanging from the columns. It was just great. Oh man, see that's fun. I mean that you know he because he was awful, but that's you know hindsight that's hilarious. Yeah, it's like those are the things throughout the show that like, and a lot of the. Um, these shows when you look back and you listen It's just it's really funny to listen And it's not even as much about the the Work rate you know especially early on because Things have changed like work rate wasn't Really a thing back in the day honestly You know what I mean like as you, you mentioned it like as a kid To me a good match was If the baby face won you know If my yeah, yeah. if the good guy won You know and, and, and that and he didn't Get it like it wasn't like a cheap DQ like that, You that's almost what, didn't uh, care about spots Like no. I remember not, like you really didn't you know, there was obvi- there was an excitement like when there was false finishes and all that, but like you didn't. I I I would be like if you remember the house shows, or even like the non pay per view stuff. It used to just be the the main guys just beating the crap out of a jobber for three minutes, and that was it. And that was like it. the whole the whole purpose was just to see them. We didn't even yeah, I was gonna say because even Monday Night Raw when it started that that was a lot of what it is, that and was it was like still jobbers, they would yeah. they would build to. Whether it be like a Clash of the Champions or a, you know a you know one of the big uh, Starcades, you know that they would have whatever company was, they would always be Texas wrestling. They'd have the big uh, Texas Stadium shows, you know. Um, so it would be like build, 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 you know, and you'd very rarely see star against star. You know, you're yeah. right. So we didn't even we didn't even know what a lot of the time like great work ethic was until later on when we saw them kind of like start to shift away from some of the real big guys and we saw yeah. some of the littler guys who were more athletic, who you know like, kind of like Bret Hart and my. And Shawn Michaels who could kind of really really go um, But yeah th- this was fun You know it wasn't it wasn't anything great At all Hogan comes in for the hot tag There's a spot with the ref bump both Hogan And Br- uh, Brutus cover DiBiase and IRS But the ref's down so Jimmy Hart you mentioned He flips his jacket around so it looks like he's got the ref Shirt he counts the pin um, Obviously it doesn't count Because he's not the ref um, They're all mad after the match uh, They end up um, Winning via DQ but they lose the match and oh no, they like they the lose the they night. lose yeah they lose via DQ and they lose the match um, yeah, yeah. because um, because Bobby but their music something gets up played because, but their music plays they celebrate um, and, and Jimmy Hart even throws uh, poor Morella over the top rope I, or no it's Danny Davis which is really yeah, funny because yeah, he was Davis, dangerous yeah. Danny Davis and he was the one that many years was ago, the, yeah. the ref that cheated and turned and then went back and uh, and, and so it was. You know, it was it was fun. It was more of a spectacle. Uh, Bobby gets gets a good one, uh, a couple good ones afterwards. Um, he says, uh, you know, they don't have the titles and they get the losers purse, which I always thought I the loved. Losers it purse they, was great. Yeah, yeah, was great. That was a gorilla thing for many years too. Oh, talking yeah. about the uh, the losers purse. I bet you gorilla was backstage smiling when he heard Bobby say that because that, that was something gorilla always would say. And I was, I don't think Hulk Hogan ever got a losers purse in uh, in any of his well, uh, appearances. I, I was I was telling you on Twitter the other day, like I the the urban legend that I always grew up thinking was that they they that they were matches were settled via a poker game, and that Hulk Hogan was just the best poker player oh. all time. I had I had heard that somewhere and interpreted that that was that was kind of how it was. Hogan, Hogan was just literally Johnny Chan, you know, winning all the time. And so, yeah. oh man, the things that we would hear just kind of run with, you know. All they had to oh, do yeah. was just tell us, you know, you know, or we just hear, had to hear it, and that and that was it. Um, uh, Macho at one point says when they're celebrating and and they're doing the strut like Hogan's doing the Brutus strut. Um, he says the Mega Maniacs. Or the Mega Maniacs. 
just another uh, a, yeah. a good one. And uh, Bobby tries at the very end before the, they go to the next uh, segment. Bobby is trying to get some of the money that they're passing out because they have DiBiase's briefcase and they're yeah in, the least secure briefcase of all yeah. time. They're passing the money the combination out. Combination was one, two, three. And Bobby's turning for the. He's a Brutus. I always liked you. He's trying to kiss his ass to get a, to get some of the money, which is just great heel. He's even uh, he's even willing to like sell his soul for a few bucks there. And uh, and Bobby was great in this too at a, a few different points, talking about like how he hangs out with DiBiase. Which I always believed too. I just thought all the bad guys were buddies and all the good guys were buddies. Like they're just well, heels. They're years. And for years, that's how they were. I mean, with kayfabe, that was how they ran, right? Like you yep. had to yep. hang out with the good guys and you bad couldn't guys. go out with them on the different yeah. buses, everything, different locker rooms. Um, it was always like that. So this one went, uh, you know, eighteen, a little over eighteen minutes, and um, we get another, um, we get another Todd Pettengill. He's talking to Natalie Cole, and then he talks to the uh, the, the Caesar's Palace. Natalie CEO. Cole wants nothing to do with him. She's like, just she, yeah. She has no clue what's going on. He's like, you coming back next year? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. What are you working yeah. on? Something. She's yeah, just like yeah. nothing. It's like, oh god, yeah, that's, my agent made me do this. Damn it, you know. Um, 100%. um so uh, we, we get then to Luger and perfect. Yeah, Luger and Perfect. Mean Gene's talking to Mr. Perfect backstage. He actually butchers uh, at one point calling him the narcissist, and he calls him the Larcissist, and then they kind of have a joke about it uh, back, uh, behind. But Luger said he's having a great week. He's been uh, hot at the tables. He has had a good week yeah. in golf, so he's ready to go. And um, and then we get the narcissist character who comes out. He's posed in front of the mirrors, and we have the women wow. that— that accompany him um, in very scantily clad clothing, and immediately Jr. says, "I see a few things I like already." <laughs> right when they come out, uh, right when they walk out, and um, they're in there, they're in there, their bikinis. You know what? I, I like this match a pretty good amount. I really did. I like when Perfect is on offense in particular. Those were the, the times where it was it wasn't that bad. Um, it didn't seem like there wasn't an extra four or five minutes. This one went like. Uh, uh, almost 11 minutes so it wasn't like 15 18 some of the other ones dragged a little bit more um i like both of these gimmicks uh, luger would very soon become made in the usa lex yeah. luger and he, he turns yeah. good guy in just a couple months from this but uh what, what were some of your thoughts on, on this one luger always got crap for like not being because he was supposed to be the next hogan right and he, and mm-hmm. he always i feel like he got a lot of crap for it. like i he thought did. he i i used to like him like he i yeah, like me too. i like usa my dream as a kid was to be able to wiggle my pecs like he would you know, <laughs> he did that. I just oh, thought yeah. I thought that was just the coolest thing in the I world. Still try but, to do that. But yeah, yeah, the narcissist gimmick was good, and the forearm was good because it it was like at any time he could. It was almost like the DDT. Like at any yep. time yeah. he could just put you straight out, and and he ended up doing that. And I actually thought one of the neatest parts of the match was all the after stuff when they kind of went and yeah, had the fight fun. in the back area. Shawn Michaels is wearing jeans tucked into his boots with no shirt, which is an amazing look. <laughs> and then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, this was fun. I I like this more than like reading some of the other people's thoughts on this and some of the the write ups. Like, I I, I like this more than I think a lot of other people did. Um, And Perfect's so good, right? Yeah, he's he's bumping around. He's great. Um, Bobby talks about the first Olympics and he butchers just all the facts, which is just hilarious. Um, There's a funny line too where he says, Luger, I talked to Luger and Luger predict the knockout. And uh, and Macho Man said uh, Ali couldn't even do that, and he said oh, you're you're not really comparing Ali to Lex Luger, <laughs> which was great. And uh, yeah. um, yeah, and and 
the the pace was was pretty quick for a, the for at least like half of the match, and sometimes it was it got a little slow, but it was still fine. I I, I enjoyed this one. You mentioned the, the backstage stuff was I thought was really cool. You didn't see this a whole lot. Yeah, this, yeah you yeah, never exactly. saw things like this at this time. Them going backstage and Luger sitting there talking to Shawn Michaels, and then this ends up leading to a feud uh, at SummerSlam. Uh, Shawn Michaels uh, faced Mr. Perfect actually, and. This was, yeah, this was good. This was a lot of fun. Um, when uh, Perfect, it was, the way that this match ended, it was a roll up. Uh, Luger cheated because Perfect's legs were on the ropes. The ref didn't see it. So right after the match, Luger ends up knocking out Perfect with that forearm, a forearm, and, and he's kind of in the ring. He wakes up. He runs back to chase after Luger, and he runs backstage. Luger's talking to Shawn Michaels, and they kind of have a, a fun little brawl back there, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I thought this was to me this was another one of the the I guess the better matches on the show. Yeah. I just I like yeah, these two guys a lot. Yeah, no, it, I mean Luger had such an incredible look. I mean, just as a oh, yeah. a physical specimen. I mean, he you know he looked the part of like the you know the perfect Adonis kind of guy, and so the character I thought was good for him. And you know, I just I the total package kind of thing. I, I I always thought he was better than he got credit for. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this next match now, is speaking uh, of who's not better than they. <laughs> Yeah, this next match is widely considered um, the worst WrestleMania match in history, or on the very short list, and it's it's pretty crazy to say that with a, a match that involves the Undertaker, who goes down yeah. as one of the all time greats. But this was the Undertaker against Giant Gonzalez. Uh, Giant Gonzalez was named El Gigante. If you saw him in other promotions before this, he was legitimately. They keep talking about him being eight foot, but he's yeah. legitimately seven seven. Yeah. Um, like he, he is huge, but he cannot, I mean, he can barely walk. Um, he's not big, fat, big, and he's just no. not coordinated. He's that big that he just well, cannot rip down that suit. It's and he's wearing, because Vince did not like the way his body looked. He's yeah. wearing this ridiculous bodysuit, which they took the fur off of it. When he came out at the Royal Rumble in, in 93, it actually had fur on it. Like he was some kind of a beast that yeah. would just have this huge like afros of fur coming out, but it was um, uh, unbelievable what what this guy looked like. And this was an absolute disaster. You mentioned it's a skin tight bodysuit that he comes out um, before the match starts. I, I did like Taker's entrance; it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, he's kind of getting carried yeah. out. There's vulture. a vulture, yeah, vulture there. But we get a we get another good um, manager from the era, Harvey Whippleman, with Giant <laughs> Gonzalez. Who, if then, I remember right, he was with Joey Morello when he died. I think they were I think yeah, they were car buddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. little and, uh, uh, known fact. And, and then the Undertaker with Paul Bear, who was one of the great uh, the Ooh. great. Oh my Undertaker! Yeah, yeah he... go, going back to Giant Gonzalez real quick, I thought his introduction at the rumble was great he just walked out out of nowhere and he looked like nothing you'd ever seen in your life and he was the biggest guy in the world and he came in and he just destroyed and like i was i was on board for him to be like this great villain and he and he was just terrible like he was his his, all he had was one entrance and that was it i mean just this was kind of at a time when when poor undertaker was like just given some kind of like a weird um, next big kind of crazy spectacle heel to try to take down. I think in 94, he had to face the other Undertaker. Um, and then it was like King Kong Bundy came back and he was against him for a while. He was up against Yokozuna towards the end of Yokozuna's run. So he was just kind of given the, this poor guy didn't get a, a lot of great guys to work with early on in his career. But the, I mean, 
poor I mean Gonzalez can't do a whole lot on offense obviously it's just like kicks and it's just hits like literally just like just punches and and like him like strangling the undertaker and and punching but he he can't sell anything either I mean when he's supposed to go down initially he can't even pretend to fall I mean this the poor undertaker but this was just it's laughably awful how bad this is my uh, my note says giant G worst seller of all time. Yeah, just yeah. it just looked so fake. He would whenever he would get hit, he would you know roll his arms in circles, make circles with his arms, and have a face that looked like he was falling off of a cliff. And, and it was just it was just bad. He just was not good at it. And I think you know he. Yokozuna was obviously an extreme. And we're going to talk about him shortly. But he was obviously an extreme in a different way physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like it almost makes you respect Yokozuna that much more because he was an insane athlete and seller oh, and wrestler. And, yeah. And so uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean we'll get to that. But like Giant Gonzalez was just horrendous. I will tell you my favorite call in the match is Undertaker gets rammed into the stairs and it uh, the, the stairs leading up to the ring, you know, the metal stairs, <laughs> and it knocks off the top set. And Jim Ross and you can see that they're hollow. And Jim Ross goes, "Those are solid steel stairs." And then he realizes that everybody can see that they're hollow. And he goes, well, there's some kind of metal. <laughs> like he stutters and catches himself because, you know, the minute they flip up, you now know they're, you know, a quarter inch thick. It's a like little tin set of stairs. Jim, you know every fact about every person here, yeah. and you wouldn't know what those stairs are really made of. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that was a great one that I caught. I had that one down, too. Um, and so what ends up happening, I mean, this is just slow plotting. The match ends up going, um, like, 7.30. And at the end of the match, what ends up happening is uh, Harvey Whippleman throws in a cloth to Giant Gonzalez, and he, like, he, he pushes, like, headbutts Paul Bear, pushes him out of the way, and then he... Uses the cloth and he puts it on the Undertaker's face and he, he kind of like you know chokes him out like strangles him and the announcers. It's funny because the way Macho picks this up, you know, it's like I think that Vince is telling him or he's got the word written down in front of him or whatever it is, and it's like chloroform and he doesn't know. It's like he's never said it, you know, and he's like, "Well, they go, what's that smell? What's that smell? I you smell think something?" That's- Chloroform is that what it's called? Chloroform, <laughs> it's just like that, and then they all jump in. Yeah, it's chloroform. You know, though. Oh my God, you can smell it. That reeks. And uh, and, and so uh, the Undertaker ends up winning by DQ, but he's out cold. Um, and they get a stretcher for the Undertaker. So at this point, you know, we've never really seen the Undertaker get knocked yeah. down a whole lot. That's why the you mentioned when Giant Gonzalez came in at the Rumble, it was it would definitely was impactful. Because the 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 Undertaker was like the favorite to win that Rumble, um, and, and then Giant Gonzalez ends up coming, laying him out, and um, and and Undertaker's gone, and so we see the Undertaker getting stretchered back down, and then uh, right before he right when he gets to the back, he gets back off the stretcher and he runs back in. Uh, Giant Gonzalez is like this is the worst choke slam like choke ever on one of the referees. I think it's Bill Alfonso. I mean, it was just awful. And then the undertaker comes back in, um, you know, they, they kind of go at it for a a little bit. Um, I mean, and when he, when he knocked him down initially with the clothesline, it was, he, he, he's looked like he's never even thought like about maybe having to fall down before. I mean, it was just bad. Bad stuff, but funny to rewatch. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I was wondering if you could actually smell something in the arena. Like, did yeah. they pump out? 
They might. Know, I it, they I, that because that that would have really added something. I mean, sure. I, I'm and sure. They were, they were I, I, I don't have a lot like of that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have an experience with using. We'll have to ask Danny K. We'll have to ask Danny K. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't, I don't know if, uh, like, you know, I can't imagine that a little bit on the rag would generate through the crowd. But if they had like some kind of stink bomb or something, they could just kind of pump out, you know, in a few different yeah. spots. Like that would have added, like, you know, certainly to the on track uh, group. But of course, the on track group. I said on track. What am I doing? Yeah, I gotta get out of racing. Yeah, I know. The I do that all the time. The on-site, yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. How many, how many times I've gone up to uh, uh, at the gas station and told to get 20 to win on the on the number five. It's like, yeah. what? I'm like, sorry, 20 on five. Yeah, just like out of habit, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, of course the, and the, the chloroform, we saw the WWE officials from the back come out and do absolutely nothing for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, Pat, <laughs> Pat Patterson and Rene Goulet. Macho says it too right after you can kill a guy with that, you know, which is always like, what? Okay. I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little startled now as my six year old self just heard that, uh, undertaker might be dead. Um, well, I can't die. Right. But, but that's when he comes back, they said, you can't kill him. Cause he's already undead. Yeah. These are some <laughs> funny, this is a macho man. I just really, oh, I really got a kick out of him uh, on this show. Um, yeah, they end up having a, a rematch at SummerSlam, uh, like a rest in peace match. You know, one of those, uh, um, and, and now we are up to our main event. We've got uh, clips that show the buildup between Bret Hart and Yokozuna. We get a, a little Gene uh, backstage. We, first, we see Yokozuna crushing Hacksaw and then crushing Bret Hart. And all throughout the show, which I thought was kind of weird because it didn't really, maybe I guess in the sense that it gave them a way to say Bret Hart was like softened up a little bit, but they kept playing up this fact that there was a brunch or like a breakfast in the morning. Yeah. Where Luger knocked out Bret Hart yeah. And um, and so they were playing that up for a while And then we see a clip of Bret getting squashed by Yoko So not a great week for Bret um, Leading up to this title match yeah. And uh, it's him versus Yoko Before though This Hogan promo was just wow I mean wow um, Hogan is backstage with Mean Gene And he Cuts the you know cuts a promo basically saying You know I'm, I'm on Bret's side We're, we're yeah. all local maniacs We're against uh we're against Yoko and you know and he uh he mentions getting beat up at the gym leaving the gym the night before and he challenges the winner he said you know whoever wins this uh the Hulkamaniacs will challenge you Brett or and he actually says and I quote the jap about Yokozuna yeah. which is just that feels like it was like ugh, that was only 93 but that feels like hearing that is like oh yeah. my god and that's your it's like jar- main it's jarring thing. now no it is what it's, we know for sure yeah, I mean, i'm sure it, it was jarring then it's just but sure, as a but kid just like, in the 90s wow. i guess you didn't think about it no and that's like your main guy Ho- that's not like a heel saying something like that's your main baby face hogan who's called like who's saying that it's just like oh my gosh there were some a few <laughs> some things but that was a yeah. that was definitely a bad one and um so this was actually the first year where the winner of the Royal Rumble would get to to wrestle against the champion in the main event at WrestleMania, and so Yokozuna won the Royal Rumble in 1993. And um, right before we get to the match, it's Todd Pettengill again, just kind of like wasting our time talking talking to some fans, being goofy yeah. again. A couple guys in a toga, and and uh, and, and he's just kind of being. Oh, crazy. the guys that stole their uh, toga from their hotel motel six yeah. or whatever. Yeah, they were they were obviously just uh, oh, just kids. They were having just fun. Just the most early 90s thing ever. Um, so we get uh, Yokozuna entering with Mr. Fuji, who had a cool and, entrance, by the way. Like his it, entrance as a whole was awesome. 
Yeah, and you know what? Mr. Fuji hadn't been around for a whole lot for a couple years. Since uh, demolition, it, really. Yeah, right? like re- demolition. He had Powers of Pain before that. And then before Barbarian, that, he had a, Don Morocco. He had a real fun run with Morocco, too. Yeah, um, yeah. So he was a good, I mean, he was a tag team, a former tag team champ, too. He was a good heel wrestler and then transitioned into a good heel manager. And he was a like a long time um, uh, Apparently WWE. a big they, ribber as well. Oh, died, they said remember, backstage. Everybody, everybody said he was like the biggest. Oh, he would play was. pranks on everybody. They would say, "Oh, yeah," and real and like when we talk about pranks, man, these wrestling pranks because there wasn't a lot going on and they were like, with each other so much. They were some hardcore pranks, like some serious and they were ones. High. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all messed <laughs> up and just going through smoking, drinking, and just having yeah. a blast. So, uh, yeah, Fuji was great. He's I always love seeing matches where Fuji shows up. And uh, and this is Bret Hart, Yoko, and and Bret Hart. Bret Hart's my number one. Uh, and, and so I'm watch. I remember watching this live, and I'm loving Bret Hart finally getting the push. He's my guy right here. He he was one that I loved because um, I didn't get to watch a lot of Hogan's early stuff live, just based on mm. you know my age. So I ended up going back and I'm w- watched most of that. But with Bret, I almost caught Bret's whole run. You know, I kind of caught right where he's going from the tag team into the intercontinental level, and then he's up to the. And so you get it's like the first guy that I got to really experience all the way through, and uh, it didn't really matter to me that he couldn't cut a damn a promo or the damn. You know, he yeah. he he just at least was kind of believable when he spoke, and that was enough for me. You know, I thought he was a good wrestler. I thought he was, you know, just like really honest and the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. You know. Yeah, a cool another cool look guy too. I mean, he just looked yeah, cool. the glasses and yeah, he, you know, he had a, he had a good look and and he could go in the ring. I I don't think you said I wasn't like like a, a snob about that, but I think yeah. I could definitely tell the difference between him and someone like Hogan or someone else that you know like he he could really go and he could really sell. And this guy was good, man. He was a, a real staple of my uh of, of like my young life uh, for for years. And and so I, I like I've watched this back a bunch. This is one of Yokozuna's better matches too. They don't try to go 20 minutes because Yoko can't really go that that long. But he can, you mentioned he's quick. He's got a really good oh. first step. I mean, he's agile for a he's big an man. Athlete. He's an and absolute before, athlete. And before before about like late 94, 95 when he yeah. started getting into like the 600 pound range, like this Yoko, he was really quick and and he was good in the ring. I think one of the best recipes for a good heel. I mean, first of all, ha- having him not really speak much other than, you know, Bonsai or something at the end of the interviews, you know, s- similar to Brock and some of these other guys, it gives a, an air of mystique and an air of, 100%. look, I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so fucking tough. I'm not even going to talk. Uh, but I think that what makes to me a, a great heel is he, he seemed unbeatable. Like yep. how, how could you beat that guy? How can you slam him or pin him or do anything to him? He scared, because, yeah, I mean, he when, scared me as a Bret Hart when fan. He, when he dropped a leg, I mean, it was, it was his leg drop was a hundred times more electric than Hogan because you thought that the guy's head got squashed like a grape and he would get elevation on it. And I mean, he just had some, he had, some, you know, he had his move repertoire was obviously not amazing, but he'd drop in belly to belly suplexes. You know, he'd do a lot of different kick stuff out of and, nowhere. Like he'll, oh, he'll, butt I mean, you, he'll butt you with a side yeah. pressing kick when you're not p- expecting it. Just like what he can do that. Yeah. I just thought he was so good. And, uh, I remember actually a couple of years ago, I, I have a weird thing where I like to go visit graves of, of famous people wherever I'm at 10. And I went to Yoko's grave and he's buried on a hillside. 
Oh. And all I could think about was I, I don't know how on earth they got the casket down the hill or up the hill to the, oh, the plot yeah. because yeah. I mean it, it's literally on a steep hill. It's not far from the sidewalk where but there's a fence there and so I thought the only way to get down there was you had to like walk down the steep hill and I just I, I could never figure out how they uh, did it. He's he's actually outside of LA. It's uh, like Rancho's Palos Verdes or something like that. Nice. Somewhere down in Southern Cal. It's easy to find. It's literally like the fifth stone from the main road. But, uh, but regardless, he, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a, and it says his name and it says the mighty Yokozuna on his grave. But he was, I thought he was just so tremendous. I mean, in his, you know, in his run, which was not long. And like you said, at the end, I think he started getting the tags with Owen and stuff like that. And yeah. obviously, Owen was incredible. But um, he had a, a short run there where he was an awesome, awesome heel. Yeah, there would be heels that would get built up that you'd kind of be like, oh, okay, this is the bad guy, but they're kind of like, I was legit nervous about Yoko. You know, it's like as a Brett fan, as just like a wrestling man, I don't like, I don't know who's gonna beat him. You know, kind of a thing. Like if this guy gets the title, he's he's gonna run with it uh, for a while. And you know, you have Mister Fuji with him too. And in the in the Royal Rumble, he like. Threw Randy Savage over You know Macho like tried to pin him Which is always one of those really funny weird spots At the end of the 93 Rumble And he does the flying elbow and he does tries to pin him And then Yoko like pushes him Plexes him basically over yeah. the top rope to, to end the Rumble And so he was just terrifying um, Right before this when when he I was nervous whenever there would be a good guy That I liked and you know it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan Was, uh, was in a little feud with uh, Yoko Leading up to Wrestlemania And so I was you know uh, rooting for Hacksaw USA Oh, you know, yeah, didn't obviously. you do the bonsai drop on the flag yeah. on Hexa? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I remember anytime like one of the the good guys was near the corner, near the ropes, I'd get nervous. Like, uh oh, Yoko's like close enough to be able to to do his his bonsai drop there, and uh, and he did it on Brett. You know, be, uh, like a week or two before this match on Raw. The, it, one of the funnier things in this match after they go back and forth, and, and it's you know, Brett was just really good. He could get good matches out of almost anyone, yeah. and he did a really good job in, in here. Um, the, the people in the crowd are chanting like Yoko's beating on on Brett, yeah. and they're chanting USA, uh, even yeah. though Brett's Canadian. Canadian. Yokozuna's supposed to be from Japan, even though he's yeah. actually from the U.S. And Bobby yeah. even points that out at some point. He says, uh, um. You see, see how bright they are. One guy's from Canada, the other guy's from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but the last few minutes of this match were really solid too. Brett was on offense. Um, he hooks in the sharpshooter. It looks like he's he does his you know his normal four or five uh, mm-hmm. regular moves that he always does to set up elbow and, off the second uh, rope, elbow off the second rope. Uh, you know, he, line uh, where he goes down as well, like the, all, all the feet his, forward clothesline. Yeah. Exactly. All his four or five uh, moves, side rush and leg sweep. You know, he does, he does all those things. And then he, uh, he hooks in the sharpshooter, which they didn't know if he could do because Yoko's legs were so big. That was kind of the, can he even do that? Yeah, and he looks yeah. like he's going to win. And then as you mentioned, uh, you know, I think it was a week ago or so, Twitter. On Twitter, James, uh, a week ago on Twitter, Jason, um, if you get thrown in, you know, some salt in your eyes, you're basically you're dead. dead. That's dead. un. Nev- you can't come back from that. Nobody has ever kicked out from the salt, you know. You know what? You know. You know what? And you know what else we found out? We found we found out at King of the Ring that flash photography is also very, very dangerous <laughs> and will knock you out. Like the two most the dangerous things on earth: salt and flash photography. <laughs> the camera, which was uh, uh, uh and so um, what ends up happening? So 
Mr. Fuji takes out his salt He, uh, When Bret Hart's got the sharpshooter locked in He throws the salt in the eyes of Bret Bret relinquishes the sharpshooter Falls over Yoko doesn't even do a leg drop An elbow drop Anything he just immediately pins him Straight from the salt to the pin Um, Yokozuna is your new champion And then about 10 seconds later Hulk Hogan shows up in the ring And uh, I'm trying to remember right now and I can't Where was the ref when the salt got thrown He back just back was Or he back was turned Because Brad had no manager I think he's looking at Yoko To see if Yoko's going to give up in the gotcha, sharpshooter gotcha, and Brett's gotcha, facing right, right. Fuji and then Fuji throws it right into his eyes. Um, yeah. And then, so Brett kind of falls over, he gets pinned. And so Brett's on the outside of the ring. He's got the salt in his eyes. He's in obvious pain. And Hogan comes running down to the ring and he's, you know, pissed off. He's pointing to the ref. He's trying to tell him what happened. He goes to uh, console Brett a little bit. And, um, and then Fuji grabs the mic and he, you know, he says, uh, Mayokozuna, better, you know, something like that to, to Hulk Hogan, you know, basically calls him out, says, Yoko's better than you. Do you, we challenge you right now for the WWF championship. And, you know, Hogan, I feel like Yoko didn't approve of that. No, Yoko's like huffing and puffing <laughs> at this point, too. He's like, what the hell, you know? And, uh, Hogan it's been does... all my career. Let me go have a beer first. It's so yeah. Great. yeah. Hogan does the great, like, Look to the fans. Should I? Should I go? Should I go? He looks to Brett. Brett gives him the wave. Go ahead. Go ahead. And he uh, Hogan runs in, and it's just literally, you know, ten seconds. Like punch, punch. Hogan with the kick, uh, the big boot, the leg drop. He gets the pin, and Hulk Hogan is your new WWF champion again. I believe this was his fifth championship at the time, and. This was really strange. I, as a kid, it didn't bother me at all. You no, know, I, loved I, I put the same thing at the bottom. Yeah. I said at the time, I just thought it was super cool. The Hulkster won. Yeah. We were all, my whole party, we were all high-fiving. Like, we were oh, all yeah, so I loved jammed. it. Yeah. I loved it. You know, and it's weird to look back on now because um, you just don't see things like this happen all the time. But this was just, you know, this was really Hulk Hogan. And I think this was Vince trying to still hang on a little bit more to Hulk. The, the plan was, so Brett was supposed to win... Uh, the title initially he was going to keep his run going when they when they f- realized that Brett um that Hogan was going to come back for a little bit the plan was um to have Hogan win this here and then Brett was going to beat Hulk Hogan clean at SummerSlam 1993 it was going to be like a good guy versus good guy like they did with the warrior uh, an opportunity for Hogan to passing put Brett over the torch clean. exactly yeah. passing of the torch and so Brett was fine like oh sure perfect I, I'm going to get this big match against Hulk Hogan in a build against Hogan and I get to be put over as like the next guy and uh, and we see that's not what happens Hogan didn't like the idea he was a bigger guy and he just didn't really like the idea of losing to a smaller guy like Brett he would yeah. rather lose to Yokozuna so following this um you know at the king of the ring we end up getting a Hulk Hogan versus Yokozuna that's basically a pay-per-view that they end up really building for Bret Hart because he ends up winning mm-hmm. the king of the ring he wins like three matches on the show and he has a great run uh, but um it it's Crazy to see how the long term, you know, what was planned right here doesn't happen. And then in just like three months, Lex Luger is the new like kind of face of the company for the next few months. They give him the run. They turn him. Um, It was, you know, like we said, the show, there wasn't a lot of great work rate and matches, but I, I don't I don't have a bad feeling when I rewatch this show. 
You know, I still I yeah. still enjoy rewatching it. I still get nostalgic for a lot of these moments. There were a lot of like really memorable characters here, and it, it's what they always like doing, like send the crowd home happy. We we had at, up until this point, we did not have one time where there was a heel that had won at WrestleMania in the last match, and it mm-hmm. almost happened. So like all the way up he, through here, it was always good guy winning at the very end, send the crowd home happy. You know, I never thought about that, Gino. That's actually a pretty sharp observation. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think it was until like you know four or five, four or five years later when we we yeah. saw. I think because uh, obviously Hart won the next year. So yeah, Hart won the next year. And then it was uh, um, the year after was LT, and then the year after oh. was Michaels. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence Taylor, which was in the I main like, event. I like Bam Bam too. Bam Bam falls in that Yokozuna category of pretty good working big man for me. And he, yeah, he was late '80s, and then he kind of got another really good run in like '93, '94, '95, and it shows how much they thought of him that they were willing to give him a spot um, in the main event uh, of WrestleMania there against LT. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't. When when you look at the match on paper, and I'm like reading through, and like when when I talked about it with uh, a couple other people, they're like, "Oh, that's such a bad WrestleMania." And it is if you're looking at it through today's eyes, with like, "Oh, we want things to be five star matches and this and that." But you know what? There was I'm gonna, I remember a lot about this WrestleMania. I always will, yeah. and I and I didn't I didn't have a problem going back and watch it. I had a lot of fun. What, what were some of the things that stood out to you? Uh, I mean, it's it, like you said, it's nostalgic. It's uh... It's seeing all those guys and it's kind of laughing at some of the, a lot of the goofiness. But as you said, like to me, the commentary watching it back became a much more important part because I was kind of trying to remember, you you remember the matches and the highlights. You don't remember so much, you know, individual words said, I guess. So for me, that was kind of the, that was kind of the neatest thing uh, about rewatching was, was kind of hearing. And I had just forgotten how bad Macho was at it. Yeah. Oh, me too. Cause 'cause he, he was kind of a, a raw Commentator for a little while too When they first started those theater shows And I think with Vince he was okay You know Mm -hmm. Um, They would just kind of be I think they had like they knew each other really well I think their dynamic was probably a little bit better But uh, yeah yeah, he was he was funny to 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 pick on a little bit on this show and uh, and jot down some of his some of his sayings and phrases. And, so and, and it's not as though we all don't. I mean, we all have. Like, oh, especially more when you're live. Oh, yeah. And when you're live, you're gonna do it. You're gonna get the verbal diarrhea. It's just oh, funny yeah. because he's someone who I you just always associate with being such a good promo. You yeah. just assume that it would be such an easy transition from him as like someone who knows the in ring psychology and is already good at the talking. It would it just it. For some reason, whatever reason, it just didn't work all that well. But uh, he, he'll go down as I think on my list of all times, he's like two or three. Uh, he's, he's he's right behind he's me. Man. Tremendous. I, he's super high up on tremendous. there. Beam, dude, this was so fun, man. Thank course, you so buddy. much for this, man. I had a blast. Um, so before we let you go, let's get your plugs in. Tell everybody uh, out there where we can we can follow you. Unfortunately, it's going to be not as much wrestling as we talked about here uh, on the day to day. But yeah, you'll you get, get you get re- you get wrestling for me about. Twice a year. Yeah, you'll get you'll get a. Uh, I still think it's amazing that you're able to to pump out shows uh, and as much content as you do as often as you do. Um, let the folks know where we can find your show, where we can find you on social media. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find the Jason B. Morse Racing Podcast brought to you by Twin Spires. And uh, yeah, I mean, Apple, Spreaker, Stitcher, all that place. And then uh, on Twitter at Beamy Awards. And I'm trying to grow my YouTube channel, Gino. That's my next uh, endeavor. Yes, yes. And I, okay. I, like to, I like to make little travel videos. They're all five, ten minutes. I go to a lot of racetracks, uh, a lot of historical places, or a lot of just random towns uh, in my travels because I you know, work all across the country. And uh, it's just YouTube.com slash Jason Beam. And Beam is two E's, no way. 
and it's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's different too. It's not it's not even a lot of horse racing stuff sometimes. Nah, it's just I mean, your travels yeah. and yep. and where you're at and where you're going and uh, and and cool visuals. If you're someone uh, who's into the, the outdoor stuff, it's it's a good follow. It's uh, it's different. It's unique. It's a uh, a little different little different side of Beam than we get to hear on the uh, on the Jason Beam pod- podcast. I, I so. really, you know what it is. I really just I enjoy the process of video editing and kind of making a little. You're getting good. Fun, you're so. getting you're yeah. messing around with those, and it, I could tell you're getting good with like some of the editing stuff, and you're, yeah, you're having fun. you're having some fun with that. I have yeah. something new to learn. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. hey, if uh, if if there's no live sports uh, again for a little while, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have to uh, pick another one out and go back and rewatch it again because this was a lot of have, fun. Have we'll you have, to... have you done the Have you done the tournament yet? No, you want to do four? four. Sign me you... up for four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, yes. That, that, that was a, that was another. I know you guys did three, which is the greatest. But, but I love uh, that's funny because four is four like was my a big one for me. Show because I love yeah. Macho so much, and what I loved about four. When I would go to the as a as a kid, when I would go to the video store, four was always those one of the double tapes, you know, Dude, where it had that's the, the two cassettes. That you're saying this, and I'm just that's exactly I, how it was for me. for me. It was like, oh my god, I get four because I get the two cassettes. Yeah. I get the double the show for the one, and it, I just love the more matches, and I love the tournament since yeah. I'm such a DJ gambler. So, you know, like I love the tournament. I love being able to look at the bra- like watching how they're going forward and, and who's gonna face who, and always enjoyed that. So okay, cool. We'll sign you up in a few weeks for four. It's we'll just see if it's, the- you know, it's it's crazy that you brought up the video. Like I have vivid thought, like memories of going to Cascade Video super and, and renting the double. Video. We we yeah. we we actually had the. I I I think I. I don't want to say stole. I think I just never returned the first tape. So for years I had the first tape, but not the second one. And so <laughs> when all when, when over, uh, yeah, like in the in the middle of the Rick Rude, uh, Jake the Snake match, it's like, oh, flip the tape. And I'm like, no, yeah. I don't have it. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, but, I, yeah. I jumped in on your uh, your your sign off. No, no, that was great. Perfect. So four, we'll we'll sign you up in a few weeks or four. Yeah. We'll see if uh, Danny Derby K Dan. wants to come in. Derby yeah. Danny wants to come and join us because uh, he wanted to talk with us here too. But uh, poor poor Danny lost a lost a pet. That's unfortunate. They lost a cat. So think think positive for him because uh, I'm a big dog person. We all love the animals, and that's a bummer because Danny's uh, really really connected with his animals. So we'll have to bring him on and uh, and uh, get his mind off of that in a few weeks and have some fun. And we will chat WrestleMania four. Be me, my man. Thank you. We uh, we right, over about it. Hour twenty recap in mania. Oops. The people lo- no, it's it's great. I mean, honestly, I get I get a lot of good uh, good feedback. The people love it here. So I'm gonna have to talk to you again real soon, and we'll set up something for the next few weeks. Sounds good, man. Okay, thank you, buddy. Of course, you know, have a good day, man. That is Jason Beam. There, you heard all the good uh, the good information where you can find him. We'll be back in just a second. We're gonna hear from one of our sponsors first here on that's what G said. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. 
and you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. A big thank you to Jason Beam. I've had a lot of fun doing these uh, WrestleMania recaps. We're going to have another one coming up for you uh, later in the week with Andrew and Darren where we chat about WrestleMania 10 from 1994. And then I'll set something up for a few weeks with uh, with Jason where we go back in time and talk about WrestleMania 4 from 19, what, 88, right? Yeah, 88 is 4, 89 is 5, 96 with the Warrior Hogan. Okay, now we get into the horse racing. Let's talk a little Tampa for Wednesday. There's a pick five carryover, so we'll get your past performances out for Tampa April the 8th. And I'm just going to go through the late pick five races here. We'll talk about uh, who we like in that sequence. So nothing in the in the first few races for me. But we do go to race number four. And um, gosh, I, you know, it's a really difficult sequence. you got to be uh, honest in here. The... One beach treasure girl. You know, you look at uh, her last couple. She's tough to completely dismiss. She wasn't a bad third last time out. She broke out. She was bumped at the start. Um, she was last early on, but she was asked for uh, for some run. She went four wide. Um, you know, she just missed second last time out, and the top two were sitting third, and they were the pace setter. So she didn't. She didn't necessarily have the best trip in there. She's coming out of some productive races. Wouldn't talk you off her. The two Inca princess is a, is kind of tough to, to use. She was 0 for 41, and she just was all out to get up at 45 to 1 last time out on the grass and was you know, 0 for 16, had never finished in the exacta prior to that. I'm okay with taking a shot against the three in a lot of spots. You know, she had a, a, a slow start last time out. She was squeezed back. She was against the 25 non-twos. Um, she was way out of it. She made an early wide move up to within, you know, about five lengths, but the field was all bunched. It was kind of a weird race. Um, she's just tough to, to trust if she's going to be a short price in here. And I, I'm not even a huge fan of the four, uh, Shinu Shinumi. She, she, she broke out. She settled fish. She was in two pass. She's about four or five lengths off. She had to angle around five wide. She was just a little bit flat late. Uh, the slow second quarter, um, 
she was put up to third uh, via DQ. You know, when you look a few starts back, just I, I don't love her. Um, now we'll get to the horses that I like a little bit. I like the five noble intentions in here. If you look at the January 20th race, that was a race I really like. Her last couple come at Gulfstream Park, and they're just against better. And you notice, she's in big fields, and she hasn't been running poorly. I just think she's been in races that are probably just a tad too tough for her. This is a much, much better spot. Um, Both of her last two are sneaky, and noble intentions um, will include. So, she's... She was taken back on January the 20th. She was not as quick as most. She was 9th to 10, but she moved in between. She was loaded, and she just had nowhere to go. Easily could have been been second that day. And last time out had a wide draw, but was able to get over to the two-path. Was uh, was up to third, but was in, you know, within a few. And she had to make a wide bid. I just think there was, you know, facing company that was a little bit tougher, and this is a much better spot for her. The six premium motion. She had a brutal start, was hopped, was bumped, ended up 10 off. Uh, never seemed comfortable and, and had to move inside and, and, and did show some late interest. Now she's going to wheel back quickly, third off the bench, and, uh, you know, third time for these new connections who are figuring her out a little bit. I'm going to use the six premium motion in all the exotics. The seven, Miley. Trained by David Flores, written by David Flores, who won three races last year as a trainer, jockey over 3,600 wins. This filly, last time we saw her, she had a slow start. She was bumped around. She was in traffic. She got shuffled back. She lost a ton of ground. You see, Hanley, uh, Haniel was second in that in, uh, in that most recent race, came back to win two races in a row again, 16 on two and then 16 on three. You know, Miley just never had a shot with that kind of trip last time out. She was traveling well, got to within a few lengths, and then again ran into traffic. I'm going to use the 7. I have 5, 6, 7 in here. The 8 drops a notch, stretches out, first-time turf. Should be close-up early. Four sibs, a couple of them tried the turf. This one's a a half to a six-time winner on the grass, but having to stretch out, try the turf for the first time both. I think just probably some speed in here. The 9, finest jewel, adds the blinks, broke out. Hopped a bit at the start, but recovered, was in the two-path, was uh, third, was in between, was in a tight spot. It was, it was okay. Looking at 16 on two, I'm, I'm not completely dismissing her. Um, so the way I have this race in what I think is a really tough opener of this pick five. Five, six, seven, you know, I kind of rank them all because just depending on how deep you want to go, how deep I can kind of formulate some tickets here and there. Uh, five, six, seven, nine, three, one, four. I'd be worth uh, willing to make cases for. So, five, six, seven, some tickets. Maybe you punch one. Uh, I always generally play a couple different tickets, even if they're like kind of small backup ones. I generally punch one when I have when I'm this deep. Where I'll go all. Maybe we'll punch another one where we kind of single the five. We move on to race number five. Maidens, uh, ten thousand, seven furlongs, the distance. Uh, I'm gonna start with a four in here. Uh, Langui Lee, who. You know, she had a nice start. She settled up third. She was inside. She was two behind. Um, she was inside of the eventual winner, KJ's Coffee. She waited inside. She had to try to get to the rail. She couldn't. So KJ's Coffee got a smooth outside trip while this gal was forced to stop the momentum and angle around. I think the four, Langui Lee, is uh, one to include on top in here. 
The number six is the horse to beat. For me, uh, that looks like, you know, a horse who's coming out of a race against better. Got the lead, crossed over, opened up by two, got nailed late. And now you're going to get the cutback. She's not so fast, so she's probably not on the lead in here, but she can sit. Her her three races at Tampa have been good. She's shown some solid improvement, and she looks like she's going to be uh, really tough in here. So 4-6, the 7, she's a fair catch I have underneath uh, them, who, who uh, last out, who broke inward and was like 10-plus off but did show some late energy. Now you get some extra distance to work with. It's going to benefit her running style. You know what? She's a Louisiana bred, but she's not facing any monsters in here. You go back to February the 5th, she was taken back. She had to maneuver around a jock spill, and she actually ran pretty well late to just miss second. I think the seven's got a big shot in here. She's a fair catch. So I have four, six, seven. Underneath them, I have the, the 10, Katie Faluna, who settled mid-pack last time out, was... uh. Raining up uh, was one who ran up into traffic, was on the heels in the two path, and had to steady, shuffled, lost a few lengths, came on again in between, nowhere to go, moved inside in traffic. This was not a good ride. What's unfortunate about that is the same jock Romero is back aboard, and this is a, a jock who is 0 for 45 lifetime, still looking for the first victory. So um, you just might be at the mercy of an eventful ride, especially with a horse like this who's going to be having to come from the back. It's not like you just need. To get out front here, um, you you're gonna have to come from uh, from well out of it. The inside couple, you know, I could I could make cases for uh, moments to savor and La Cafetera, who's just lightly raced and who maybe just too early to give completely up on yet. Uh, the one low percentage connections, but she kind of fits in here and she has a shot. Um, the nines, another one, Mighty Electrica. Who, you know, she probably gets the lead in here Third off the long layoff Second time at this low level She had a good start She got the lead by a length And she had the lead at the top of the lane But she just kind of stopped badly late And maybe she can improve uh, in here And have a little more bottom But I would have liked to see a little more finish I have this race 4, 6, 7 10, 1, 9, 2 Depending on how deep you want to go How deep you can go But I have 4 and 6 As kind of the top tier And the 7 right behind them Let's go to race number six here. And uh, the eight is where I'm going to begin. And that's better yet. Who was just buried inside last time out. Was about five lengths off with nowhere to go. And finally got to see mid-stretch and shot up to third. Better yet, with a better trip, would have been right there. And I think she really fits with a lot of these. The, the only concern with her is that she doesn't have that kind of tactical style that might give you a little better value on her sometimes because she's not able to, you know, dictate her own trip as much as some of the others in here. I think she's got a major shot and should offer you some nice value. The five monkey mine should be sitting really, really close and uh, should have every opportunity in here along with the six. It's a gimme's girl, forwardly placed, um, top-notch connections, I think the six is tough to exclude in a lot of your exotics. And then the four, Barrel of Destiny, who's just dropping out of much better races uh, as well. So uh, eight, five, six, four in race number six at Tampa with the eight, better yet, on top.
Race number seven doesn't get a whole lot easier. I I, I think on on some tickets I could be okay with with just using two in here. Um, two horses, which are the one I'm a Wildcat who just had to need his last start. I mean, he hadn't raced from May of of 2018 to March of 2020, and he showed some speed and then faded. You're gonna get that race under your belt now. I don't think there's a ton of other speed in here. Uh, you'll get the, the the five solitary Jack, who's never even been on the dirt. We don't really know what to expect from him. Maybe back page a little bit of speed, but I think I'm a wildcat from the rail. If, if he breaks well, it's a big opportunity to try to steal this race. The nine, I'm, Amelia's wild ride, is really the horse to beat. He hasn't been on dirt since 2015. He's actually been a grade three winner before in a race that was on a wet racetrack that was taken off the turf. So he's going to go back to dirt, this old nine-year-old who has won a ton of races, but he's been, you know, a little bit off form uh, recently, and he'll hope that the the switch to the dirt can kind of wake him up a little bit. He If he runs well, they're all going to be running for second in here. Uh, the seven big Gillette, going to go second off the long layoff, drops, cuts back, back to the dirt, and... Camacho's jumping on You're going to at least get a horse who's going to be flashing uh, Some tactical speed on the cutback And if he's close he could be tough to pass late So 1, 9, 7 And then after that The 4 double deep Kind of obvious 0 for the last 10 But they were against better and he's been competitive So wouldn't be a huge shock there The 6, the great Ludini One more step forward off of his last effort And he wins but you know he's 4 for 49 He's just tough to trust overall and then the five, Solitary Jack. What are you going to get from him on his first start uh, on a dirt racetrack? We just don't really know. Maybe with some speed he can hang around for a slice. I have one nine on kind of a tier above everyone else. Uh, below them, if you want to go deeper, how you formulate your tickets. Then I have seven, four, six, and five in race number seven there at Tampa. And we'll close things out in race number eight. I'm going to go to the seven in here. That is uh, Windfall Pratt. Dan was a multiple graded stakes winner on the grass. A couple siblings, two of them were winners, both won on the turf, including Profiteer, who was a five-time winner on the grass. The first two starts on the grass were at Saratoga and at Belmont in races that are just much tougher than this. You have a horse who's now turned three. Um, Suge does a really nice job when he sends horses over here to Tampa. I think the number seven, Windfall Profit. Going to be real tough in here. Let's put the seven on top and we'll use in all exotics. I like the one twirling star who was away a little slowly, was seventh of eight, was seven off, angled four wide at the top of the lane, was a clear cut second. That was going five. Now you get the stretch out to a mile for a horse who's already shown a little speed going long. This one will probably be a little closer, but also can pass horses. So let's use the one twirling star in all exotics. The 9 and 10, I think, are also tough to exclude. I kind of have them on that top tier. The 9, Gaelic Gold's the first-time starter. The damn one four times on the grass. Was a grade 3 winner. Uh, four siblings, three of them are winners, and one of them on the turf. And it's Clement, and it's Camacho. Very good barn with first-time starters. Gaelic Gold, tough to exclude. And the 10, screen image. Don't Don't leave this mare out. She really needed her race last time out. She had not raced since October of 2018. Look at some of those races on the grass prior to that. The Delaware races, they're not bad. Even the race at Saratoga isn't bad. If you just cross out the Kentucky race, you know, 
You're left with some nice form overall. She wouldn't be a huge shock in here. 7, 1, 9, 10. And then if you want to go a little deeper, I mean, what the 2 and the 3, you know, the 2 Heavenly Peace took up at the start and um, was ninth, and then ran up onto the heels of Arrival, was in between horses, was okay late. That was at Gulfstream. That was against Better, so she wouldn't be a shock in here. And then the 3 clear as day. Has some pace cutting back. She sat second last time out. She didn't really finish well. Just kind of like others more in here. But if you're playing a deep ticket or two, I wouldn't talk you off using them. I have 7 1, uh, 9 10, 2, 3. So I'll kind of give you for, so some horses just to make sure you include. In the fourth race, the number five, Noble Intentions. Fifth race, the number four, Langui Lee. Uh, sixth race, the number eight, Better Yet. And the uh, eighth race, the number seven, Windfall Profit. I'll take a couple different approaches here, so just to, to kind of give you an idea of how I formulate my tickets. There'll be one where I use just most of the horses that I, I really kind of um, have on the uh, the top tier. So in it would be starting in race number four, it would be five, six, seven, with four, six, seven, with five, six, eight. You want to throw the four in there? Feel free. With one nine, with one seven nine ten, and then uh, I would do a second ticket, something like all, in the fourth with four six, with five six eight, with one nine, with one seven nine ten, and I do another ticket where I do something like, um, and again, these are just me kind of spitballing and, and, and telling you out, um, thinking out loud. This is how I kind of approach. The, the ticket structure, a few different tickets. Uh, this one would be something like single Noble Intentions, five, single the four, Langui Lee, and then go deep in the last three. We get through those first two, we could do something like, you know, five with four with one, four, five, six, eight, with one, four, five, six, seven, nine, with one, two, three, seven, nine, ten. So a couple different approaches there to the uh, the Tampa pick five. Best of luck there um, in that Pick five sequence with the carryover on Wednesday. Let's get to Thursday. Let's talk some Gulfstream and then some Oaklawn. I like the Gulfstream uh, races a lot better than I like the Oaklawn ones. Thursday, April the 9th, Gulfstream Park. Starting race number one. I think you got to use the eight, keep marching. And let's play a win wager if we can get you know any kind of a decent price on this. Let's look at his turf form. Okay, it's three grass races. The first one is back in July. That's at Woodbine when he's actually favored. And he had a bad start. He was forced out. He gets caught wide. He moves three wide. He's up to within two lengths. He's four wide at the top of the lane. And then he tires. And then that race sends him to the bench to December. So he races on the synthetic, races on the dirt, comes back to the grass at Gulfstream Park on February the 8th. He is a step slow, then he's squeezed, and then he settles sixth, seventh. He angles out four, five wide, but the leader had already opened up, and he's, he just missed a second that day on February the 8th when finishing fourth. And, and then February 26th, he takes up early, he settles six, he's like 10 off, he's too deep, he runs into some traffic at the back of the pack. His best race puts him right there. 
and he's a big price in here. There are no monsters at all. I think he looks more like a 5-6 to 1 shot than a 15 to 1 shot. Let's use the 8, keep marching on top in all exotics. The 1, magical Mike, blinkers off, very logical on the big drop. The 3, Jack Beanstalk, who has a little speed, who's going to be stretching out back to the mile on the turf. The turf tries were against better, and uh, he should at least be forwardly placed in here with Saez from the inside. And, and then what about the 4, uh, Traffic Trouble, who, guess what? Ran into a little traffic trouble. He was in tight going into the first turn in his last start, and he lost some momentum. He settled fifth. He was too deep. He was early. He was uh, three wide. He, he, you know, he was okay. It was it was better than it looks. So eight one three four. If you're playing any kind of early exotics, you know, even the twelve, I think you can make a, a little bit of a case for. But I like the eight. Make sure to to include keep marching. However you play. In race number two, I do think the seven dizzy sighted would going to be really, really tough on the drop. I really don't like playing horses like this. Who was one hundred twenty five thousand dollar purchase? Who's in for sixty two five? And uh, but but he does look really, really tough in here. The five steadily. You want to you know make another case? He fits really well in this spot on the slight drop. But you're looking at connections, uh, in particular a jockey who's uh, three for the last uh, 120 or so. The one red fog on the drop would be no shock. They claim this one for 12-5, stepped up in phase 16 uh, non-twos a few times, and now you're going to drop back in. And the two, she loved me. So kind of logical in here, nothing really outside the box. I do think the seven would, would be one, uh, obviously the, the top horse in here to to use and probably going to be the shortest price. So The third race. This is a good one uh, as far as, you know, I think you can make, you know, strong cases for a few in here, but I thought the 10 Hellbent, who Landeros, who is just one for his last, uh, we talk about jockeys who are struggling, 100 plus, who got that win at the very end of the Gulfstream Park meet. Hellbent, last time out, got squeezed on both sides at the start. Couldn't get to the lead, and then he gets forced four wide into the turn. He ends up six. He just never had a shot with that kind of a trip. He needs to be a little bit closer. Now he drops in class. He's in for 16 after facing the maiden 30s last time out, and he hooks a field that does not have a whole lot of speed on paper. I think the 10 has an opportunity to get out front and steal this race. Um... The one farm strong, kind of going to be the opposite end of the spectrum. He made a nice, big, sustained, wide bid. He really got going late, and now he drops, and he should be saving ground from the inside. So he'll hope that they go quick so he can come running. The four, Mayito, probably going to be in the middle of those two. He was seventh. He was in the two-path last time out. He was seven off. He was chasing runoff speed. He made an early move to try to get into contention, and uh, he's... One of a few that made up ground in that race. He should step forward with that race under his belt. I thought the two, Rap Store Rocks, is kind of sneaky. He had some traffic issues a few times uh, on March the 1st. And I think he could sit a little bit closer. He really wasn't bad either last time we saw him. The 11, Declare Union, if you're going to go a little bit deeper. Just on the drop alone, he makes some sense. And, and then the 8, Clifton Park. I don't quite love him as much as others in here. The drop should help. He was your beaten favorite. And, you know, he, he has had... Some issues. He hasn't had the smoothest journeys in either of his last two. 10, 1, 4, 2, 11, 8. How I have this field uh, spotted in uh, in race number 3. But make sure to use the 10 and uh, maybe make a win wager if we can get like 5 to 1 or so. 
Let's go race number four in here. Uh, I thought the seven, if you're playing any kind of early exotics, this might be a horse to single, reiterate, who she cuts back now, and she's drawn to the outside again. She had a great start from the outside in her last race. She sat second. She sat just off the pace. She just couldn't get to the horse who was on the lead, Kimura, who led all the way around. She tried hard all the way. She's drawn well again to press. Now she cuts back a full furlong, so she'll have a little bit more punch. Gaffleone's been riding really, really well. There are a lot of things to like about her in here. And if they go a little quick, if somebody else or a couple others in here want to show a little speed, then it probably does set up for the five. Richie's great girl. Won't spend a ton of time on this race because to me it's single to seven in the exotics or just kind of be Captain Obvious with the five and the seven. In race number five, uh, let's start with the four. Fork Union. His... Turf race last time out when he dropped against uh, dropped in uh, for maiden fifties, I thought was really good. He was fifth. He was four off. He was chasing. He made an early wide bid. He was three wide. He was up to second. He was within a length, but he at that point he looked like he was getting all in and he was going to kind of back up. But he really fought on well. He kept trying. He ends up finishing fourth there. He could have very easily been wrapped up late and backed up on. But I think there's some ability here with Fork Union. Let's make sure to include the four in all exotics. We'll make a win wager on that one. The number five, Ratify. He just beat the horse that beat more than usual. So if we're playing that common rival game, uh, Ratify stands out in this field. As uh, he was asked for some speed, he got to a close-up spot, but he wasn't able to cross over. He pressed from second. He was in the two-path. He moved to the lead. And then he dug in late. He just missed. It was a strong effort against the Maiden 50s. Just a repeat of that effort would make him really tough in here. I think you have to use him in all exotics. The two, Spiritual King. He has legit sprint speed. Then he stretched out and went to a mile and eighth on the grass. Now he's going to cut back a little bit. He puts two together. He could be really tough in here. I'm just worried if there's a little bit of other speed, maybe this race doesn't shape up all that well for him. But he might be one who can kind of just dictate the way, and it doesn't even matter now on the cutback. So I kind of have four, five, and two on that top tier above everyone else. The 12 strong headed. He's going to step up a little bit, but he was squeezed back at the start. He recovered really, uh, really nicely. A couple, couple steps later, got squeezed again. And uh, so trouble, recover, trouble again right away. Angles to the outside and really got going late. If it weren't for you know those multiple bouts with trouble early on, he, he we might be talking about a different race uh, for strong headed. The seven Doctor Doyle, it's tough to really be too hard on him. He was forwardly placed. He was tucked in third. He was two back. He didn't seem to love it down on the inside. He got shuffled. He lost a few lengths. He got a nice split. He angled around four wide. He finished third. No real knocks on him. The three more than usual. He was tucked in. Um, he was not. He was tucked in. He saved ground and not to be wide early. He was okay late. There were some things to like there. So I have four, five, two on the the tier above. And then you know, depending if you want to go a little deeper in exotics or how you play exotics, I have the twelve, the seven, and the three below them. So if you maybe if you do play some of those early pick fives at Gulfstream Park, the one thing I will. Uh, I will mention is I think you can single probably uh, the seven in the fourth race at least maybe the seven in race number two and uh, you know a ticket I might play uh, would be something like you know one three four eight twelve with seven 
with 1, 2, 4, 8, 10, 11, with uh, 7, with 2, 4, 5, something like that. You can play another ticket where you are uh, like all 7, 1, 2, 4, 10, with 7, with 2, 4, 5, something like that. Um, but 1, 3, 4, 8, 12, with 1, 2, 5, 7, with 1, 2, 4, 10, with 7, with uh, 2, 4, 5. Just some different approaches. So you could see how I've kind of stacked the horses that I like at Gulfstream in those early pick 5 races. The 6th race, I'm going to go to the 7 in here, 50 cents. So you can go through his entire career, of just a short 4 race career, and make legitimate excuses for some of the poor performances, right? So in his debut, he gets money at Saratoga against New York Breads in a maiden special weight, uh, in a New York Bread maiden special weight, and he just, not the smoothest of starts, but he actually moved right into contention, but he was inside, he was up on the heels of a rival, he had a steady back, he lost ground, he couldn't come on again, it was much better than it looks on paper. Then you go to September the 13th at Gulfstream Park. He gets absolutely destroyed at the start. Squeeze back to last. He starts to roll. He's five wide. It's a super impressive second that day. He's behind a next not winner disc jockey who stakes place and who was entered and was going to run in the Florida Derby. So February 6th comes back off of a long layoff. Shows speed going a mile. So it's going a little too far. Speed and fade. Sure, he gets a little bit tired. That's fine. Switches barns. And last time out. Draws the rail, was asked for some speed, was right up onto the heels of a rival, nowhere to go, was boxed, was steadied, was checked multiple times. He just had a brutal, brutal trip. I'm going to have the seven horse on top, 50 cents. The nine, quiet company. He's finally able to string a few starts together. Uh, she is. She's going to drop in class. She's going to drop in class in here. And she's interesting because you just see the layoff lines, layoff lines, layoff lines. And. I, I want to give her a shot in here um, against the boys. I, I think she fits really well on the drop-in class with the uh, opportunity to string a couple together. The eighth, unprecedented, first-time gelding, coming out of some strong races on the drop. Probably going to be forwardly placed in here. The five, three deep, who, you know, logical, obvious, coming off a, a runner-up effort last time out where he just missed. Seven nine eight five. Don't forget about that seven fifty cents to include in your exotics. Race number seven. No strong opinion at all in here. So I'm not going to give you any late exotics to play because I just I hate this seventh race. I'd play something where I went all maybe, and then the other I, I'm just really kind of captain obvious with one four six. So again, no real strong opinion in that seven to Gulfstream. In race number eight, you know I, I think you got to give the nine a look in here. Uncle Curly, who's going to uh, add the blinkers. Let's look at his last couple races on the grass. Okay, February the 27th. He was parked five wide into the turn. Gave up a ton of ground. And then guess what happens next time out? He's parked five wide into the turn. Almost the same exact start. And then you're just, you're in some trouble. When you're that wide and you're bumping around and you're just hooked so wide early on. Now you're going to drop in class. You're going to add the blinks. Maybe you can get a little bit closer in here. I think the nine. Uncle Curly is a must-use in all exotics. The five voluble just had nowhere to go when he loomed up on February the 27th. He was just completely blocked 
on the inside. He could be tough if he comes running. Preacher Marcy seems like a really nice fit at the level. That's the number seven. And in the two, Krupy's Pizza Dom has some speed, but can also sit off the pace a little bit. He has the tactical uh, advantage on many in here. The 10, Hero Up, has some pace. If anyone gets sent really hard, maybe it's Hero Up trying to steal this race from the outside. 9, 5, 7, with 2, 10. Uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper in that 8th race. In race number 9, I'm, I'm okay with taking a shot against Moretti, you know. He adds the blinks. Um, I really liked Moretti. I remember I drafted him on a fantasy horse racing team um, after his maiden win. Uh, I thought he was a horse who could run all day. I expected a lot out of him. Many people did because he got action. He was uh, under 5-2 to two in the Withers. It's funny because Admire was also in the Withers that day. And Admire actually was better than Moretti was. And Moretti, it, it, he doesn't really have speed. He's a plotter and a grinder, and he wants to sit kind of close. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in here. I'm I'm okay with playing against him um, in, in some of your late exotics. Give a look to the two, the the six first stone hands. I'm not sure how far he wants to go, but he should have you know maybe a two length lead in here. The plan has got to be send this horse hard. He's got a little back class to him also. The six stone hands, uh, the two youngest of five. I loved his win. Uh, second time out, small step forward when when stretching out. He's done very little wrong. The five admire. He said really nicely. He was third. He was three lengths off. He tried to keep uh, War Giant, the the pace setter, honest up front. He kept trying all the way, but War Giant was just a little too tough on the front end. He should get a similar type trip in here. Admire sitting close, and then the three is a win machine. Two dare just loves to win races. Ten time winner. You know, I'm, I'm okay with going against Moretti here, and, and maybe those are the horses to include in some of the exotics. 6-2-5-3. Race number 10 here, Gulfstream. Uh, going a mile on the uh, on the turf course, maiden special weights here. Capable has raced twice, and in his second start, her second start, she shot through a really tight spot early, and then she ran up into another tight spot with traffic. She had nowhere to go. She got shuffled back. She was just always inside, boxed in until it was too late. She tried to angle out and around. She couldn't. She had to go in between horses. And then Paco stopped riding late when she easily could have been fourth instead of sixth. It just was an unlucky trip and a, and not a very good ride, to be honest. Capable. You get a jock switch today. And I think she's got a major, major shot in here. The number five, Mighty Road, the first-time starter for Chad Brown. This one's a million-dollar purchase. Four siblings, two winners, and one on the turf for uh, Paris, the dam of Paris Rose, and, and this one, Mighty Rose. The 11 feels like the one to beat Valletta, who was good, stalked, pounced, and then just got a little tired and going long on the grass. Now you get the slight cutback. She should be sitting close from the outside. The number six, No More Stories. I think she'll probably be close early. She adds the blinks. She's able to put two starts together. She should be a little more fit today, uh, like the the races that she exit. The eight, act like Artie. You want to go a little deeper. Uh, she broke well, but she settled mid-pack. She was three wide. She worked her way up to third, three deep. She was tired, and then she got squeezed late, but it wasn't bad, and another who should improve with the race under her belt. So four, capable, five, 
Mighty Road, 11, 6, 8, depending on how deep you want to go in some of your exotics. So for me, the horses to uh, to use at, uh, at Gulfstream Park all throughout the day. Race number 1, the number 8, Keep Marching. Uh, race number 3, the number 10, Hellbent. Race number 4, the number 7, Reiterate, maybe an early exotics, Key and Single. Race number 5, the 4, Fork Union. Race number 6, the 7, 50 Cents. Race number 8, the 9, Uncle Curly. Race number 9, the 6, Stone Hands, maybe trying to wire that field. And race number 10, the number 4, Capable, off the trouble trip last time out. Let's close things out. I'm talking a little Oaklawn for Thursday, April the 9th. I uh, didn't love Oaklawn as much as I did Gulfstream, so we'll just do some quick hitters on Oaklawn. Let's get to race number three. So Oaklawn, April 9th, race number three. I'm going to go to the 12 uh, in here, Wrath. I'm looking at her last start. Uh, his last start is just a complete toss. Now he's going to go first start up the claim for Diodoro. Give him a little time off. You have a couple works now. I think just toss the slop race, and he fits really nicely in here. That's the number 12. Wrath, toss him in some of your exotics. Put a few bucks to win on him if he's, you know, 8-1 to one or so and doesn't get really hammered at the windows. Let's go to race number 5 at Oaklawn. So yeah, as I mentioned, just wasn't as big of a fan of the of the Oaklawn card. Maybe just a, some horses to include in some of your exotics if you get the prices on them. Uh, fifth race, the number five, Hidden Promise, who was claimed by John Sadler. They took a shot against 25 claimers off off the claim. They hooked a race that was in the slop, and they ran into a runaway winner that day. I think it's an easy race to excuse, and now you're going to cut back. Should have a little more bottom. Give Hidden Promise a look and make sure to uh, use in your exotics. If we can get like 4-1, to one, put a win wager on the number 5 in race number 5. Race number 6, the 1, uh, David Line. A lot of these horses kind of have similar profiles that I like on at Oaklawn. Toss the March 14th race in the slop. If you're playing him off of his February 15th race, he fits really, really well in here. A repeat of that effort puts him right on the line. That's the one. Saves all the ground from the inside. Now third off the short break, tossed the slop out last time. In the seventh race, wouldn't be shocked if this horse takes a little bit of money, so maybe more of a, a late exotics key. And that's the 10, Illusionista, who's going to come back to the dirt. Hooked a sloppy racetrack, actually, in the career debut. And then, you know, the, the turf race, it really wasn't that bad. Um, I think Illusionista makes a little bit of sense in here. So use this one, maybe, you know, one to key in. Because I'm trying to, to think who's going to take all the money in here. And it could be spread around a little bit. So maybe a race where you just say, hey, let's, uh, let's try to take a stand with the 10. Quick thoughts on the last two in race number eight. The number nine, uh, the five American mandate wouldn't shock me. I think should be sitting close. But the number nine, Replete, who's going to go third off the bench, sits a really nice trip from the outside, should be set for the best because she's got some. Uh, he's got some speed, but he's got the ability to close. Um, I think that outside draw with his versatility, you know, he's been the beaten favorite in his last few, so don't get like caught up in a short price with him. But he does seem ready um, for some improvement in his start. 
Closing things out at Oakland Park in race number nine with the number eight, Luminaire, who's going to get off the rail this time. And uh, I think she might be handled a, a little more aggressive where she's able to sit in a, in a good spot here. So Luminaire, the number eight in race number nine. Just a quick repeat over at Oaklawn. Race number three, the 12 Wrath. The, five, the fifth race, the number five, Hidden Promise. Sixth race, the number one, David Line. Uh, seventh race, the number ten, Illusionista. Eighth race, uh, eighth race, number nine, Replete. And ninth race, the number eight, Lumen Air. I do like the Gulfstream races on Thursday a little bit better than those Oaklawn races. But that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to Jason Beam. And a big thanks to all of you for tuning in again. Make sure if you get the chance to head on over to iTunes, leave us a nice five-star rating and review. If you can share the show with some of your friends, subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Spreaker. We are all over the place, wherever you get your podcast. Later this week on That's What G Said, Emily Golickson will be joining us to talk some Oaklawn Friday and Saturday for the weekend. Chad Cooper is going to join us to talk some WWE. We'll talk some WrestleMania, some Monday Night Raw, some NXT, and some AEW. Don August is going to join us for a WrestleMania recap. We're going to talk with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali for a Mania 10 rewatch. And we'll continue on with some Gulfstream Friday and Saturday racing. So make sure to subscribe so you get that next episode later on in the week also. Have a a great next few days, folks. Talk to you again soon.